Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 162. I am your host NBZ and uh, I'm joined as per always, as per usual, by Bally. Hi Bally, how you doing? Hello NBZ, I am I'm doing good. A little concerned about our podcast feed, but I'm sure no, you can No, definitely explain. not. Uh, no panicking here whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah, so just to bring people up to date, because there may have been people who listened to this podcast and who wanted to listen to the most recent few episodes and looked at their feed and were like, why has everything disappeared? Why is the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order spoiler cast the first thing in the feed? What is going on? There used to be 187 episodes. Now there are only 80. Uh, we're going through a thing right now where we are switching hosts for our podcast feed which means that something has gone wrong of course because such is life and murphy's law um so unfortunately uh our episodes for whatever reason have gone missing they should be coming back we are working with the new host that we're moving our podcast to to get everything resolved it's taking time longer than i want it to but hopefully it should be okay in the end and we can all move on with our lives but uh, yeah that's uh it's a little bit of an update for people, uh, if you don't know what's going on. If, in the meantime, you want to listen to previous episodes that are not showing up in the feed, you can go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash thisnintendolife, which has a handy playlist where every single episode since the beginning is listed in order. So you can go and find whatever you want and listen to it through there. Not the most ideal thing, I know. Sorry. Hopefully it will be sorted soon, and we won't have to worry about it anymore. Um so yes uh hey we're uh we're here though we're with another episode and hopefully everyone's able to hear this i'm i'm saying all this preamble with the idea that everyone's actually going to get this episode uh on the day and, and they, they've to told it. us it should be fine yes they said it should so, be working so if everyone we'll goes by their word we're all good yes um the other thing i want to bring up because it should have been posted by this point but i have actually recorded another bonus episode which is a fire emblem three houses spoiler cast with devon from emblem cast and that will hopefully go up next week um in kind of the interim between episodes it was supposed to go up last week but then this shit happened in between and i was like well i don't want to mess with anything until we know what's going on um so uh yeah we've got fire emblem dlc coming up so i think that's a good time uh, to put that episode out so uh, hopefully you guys look forward to that next time but for now we're going to talk about what we're doing this week this episode bally so will you tell the fine folks what the plan is for the show so we're going to do a two-segment show this week. First segment is going to be all the games that we have been playing. And then for our second segment, we're going to do a little sort of review of the Nintendo Switch. Give it a grade. Um, go through kind of what we think about the hardware, the software, first party, third party. Uh, and just kind of a state of play as to where... A state of play. Good, that was a good phrase. Uh-huh. Um, a state, a state of play as to where we are with the system. Yes, a report card, you could call it. That's the word um, I was looking for. Yes, card. that we stole from our offense, because all good ideas, we steal them. Uh, so, yeah, look forward to that. It's a long segment in the second half, so uh, we will, we'll get back to your emails next time. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll be doing, well, we'll talk about this at the end of the show as well, but we'll do some 3DS retrospective stuff, so you can send emails to that. Um, 
let's get into it then, Bali. We're talking about video games we've been playing, and uh, I think like the first major release of the year is here in terms of a thing that has come out that lots of people are talking about uh, that is uh, probably going to be in contention for a lot of uh, people's best of at the end of 2020, um, and that is Kentucky Route Zero, uh, a game that has been around for a fucking long time i remember listening to people talk about it back in 2013 when act one came out and thinking oh it's an episodic game and like around that time you had the walking dead from telltale uh you were starting to see other companies lean into this episodic model of like you know taking maybe a year to put out a game but doing it in every two months there'd be a new episode out and so kentucky Route zero comes out and i was like oh it's another one of those like it seems like it'll come out pretty frequently uh mm-hmm. and then it turns out no it's gonna take seven years for this game to be finished um so i was in a holding pattern for a long time because i was like oh yeah it sounds really cool and interesting and people are talking about it am i gonna want to play it right now no i'm just gonna wait until it's all done and kind of get to it when i get to it and uh didn't realize that it would take this period of time uh for it to come out and uh and it's interesting because I think had I played it when it came out, I don't think my critical tool set or my ideologies or anything would have been well equipped to understand a lot of what this game is saying or what it is trying to do. Um, and I don't think many people would have been able to at that time do the same, right? Because I, th- I feel like the way that people talk about art and games and just general, you know, politics has come such a long way in the last seven years Absolutely, um, yeah. that it's very interesting to go back to this game now and play through those first few acts and realize that they were quite ahead of their time in terms of what they were doing uh with this game yeah and i guess um, it's kind of the game started in the post 2011 well think about like the 2008 financial crash it was sort of in the few years following that so i guess a lot right. of the themes are definitely more rooted in that but those themes I would argue certainly, at least in the UK, have only gotten worse since 2010, not better. And I guess the the story is slightly different in the United States where this game is vaguely set. Uh, But yeah, you definitely feel those themes. For sure. Um, And so to explain what Kentucky Route Zero is, so basically the game just came out on all the consoles. Uh, There's a TV edition, uh, which is what it's called on Switch and on PS4 and stuff. And so Bali, you played the Switch version. I did, Um, yes. I had a free copy of it on Twitch Prime on PC from 2017. Uh, So when I got it, I was like, oh, cool, I have access to this game now. I'll wait until they finish it and then I'll play it. Uh, And I think that was, I think that's the decision a lot of people had made is, look, it's going to come out and then it's not super long to just go through the whole thing. Uh, And we have both finished the game. So we both finished it this morning, actually. Mm. And, uh... And yeah, it's I I don't really know how to talk about this game. I, it is, I don't know either, but we're going to give it a bash. <laughs> sure, it is one of the most uniquely weird um, and I like literary games I've ever played. I, I tweeted this out, but like this playing this felt like studying a modernist or postmodernist text for an English class that I was going to take. Um, in the sense that there is so much density to it, there are so many themes being explored, and there is so much drawn from that style of storytelling, right? Because at it's, its very much modern art, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It, at, at its core, it is not really a straightforward plot or narrative. Like, there is a story, there are characters, but so much of the landscape is dictated by the surrealist 
imagery and this melding of the mundane and the magical and it it is for me i find that stuff very hard to approach from a level of engaging with it like when i was studying a lot of these books in english i i didn't necessarily say i enjoyed the reading of them or yeah or like enjoyed the experience of the story because it, a lot of the times that's not really the point but i why i was of, often fascinated by what they were trying to say and what they were trying to get across and i, I right. felt so similarly about kentucky route zero in that it constantly throws you into weird scenarios and situations the dialogue is jumping from place to place and and it it never really it's saying so much while also just leaving so much open to yeah. to your approach I, to it. I, I've not sort of read some of the literature you were talking about, but I sort of felt like I was in a modern art gallery for a lot of the time. It's that, so those same feelings. Like you're looking at this art and, and it's not so much do you get it or don't you get it. It's almost like a sliding scale of right. you, you understand some aspects and you can appreciate them. And then there's other aspects that just leave you completely confused, baffled. And then likewise, there's other pieces of art that I, I personally feel like I can't, I can barely engage with at all because right. it's just, it's it, whatever I'm, whatever tidbit I'm meant to latch onto this piece with, I'm not buying. So, it, and this game even has one scene where you are walking around what is essentially like a modern art gallery. And I was like, yeah, hmm, yeah. very fitting. That's exactly how I'm feeling right yeah, now. Exactly, with this yeah, exactly. Um, and we've obviously said on the show before how much I'm a big fan of sort of more overt storytelling. And Yes, and this is so not that at all. This is so much the opposite <laughs> that it was kind of quite refreshing in a way to try and just kind of work out what does this represent? What What's my interpretation of this? And... I was definitely had this this urge to check out what other people were saying about their interpretations uh, when I beat the game, uh, and yeah, there, there's a lot in there. And I think um, Waypoint Radio used this phrase, but they they described it as magical realism. So it's taking like yes. real world locations, concepts, and then kind of shuffling them in this magical way where you have a reality yeah. and a root zero, and it's all very um, strange. Yeah, no, magical realism is is a thing that's been around for a long time, and it is, again, like some of the stuff that I read um, mm. for for English stuff had a lot of that same feel to it. Like postmodern novels, like The Third Policeman by Flann O'Brien, was one of those that I really enjoyed, but also was very baffled by. Um, you know, there's Infinite Jest, which is a very well known piece of literature that i just didn't even try to engage with because it's like a thousand pages long and it's just full of a bunch of nonsense that just for me was way too intimidating um and i I feel like kentucky route zero is not as intimidating as some of that stuff that i have engaged with previously um but it's certainly it's not easy it can be jarring and it can it can throw you into scenarios often with zero context and zero idea of what's going on with characters you've not had any clue of who they are before they just enter the scene um but i but i do appreciate a lot of what it is trying to do in terms of it is a heavy capitalist critique but not in the sense of focusing on the power structures that create uh you know terrible situations but more the, the lives lived the lives lived by the people who are affected by uh you know late capitalism right? yeah um and and to me that was an interesting approach because it it does allow you to kind of live these people's lives and and 
not look luxuriate but really languor in it right it's a slow game it's a plodding game it is so dialogue focused and so rich with like there was often times where i'd just sit there and read through a thing and be like okay i need to read it again like i, I just need to go yeah. through this a couple of times to really understand what's going on and it it has an enchanting quality to it right i think of and i think this is probably the the best example of that squaring of the magical realism um of just the nonsense and, and the craziness versus the mundanity of it is in act three where you go to the bar and Junebug and johnny get up on stage and they do this performance this song mm. and it's a song that as soon as it starts like as soon as the art happens right you transition from this mundane like you can hear the hum of the lights in the bar some of the sound design in this game is incredible and in, in it's minimalism the, the the ceiling of the bar opens up to like the stars as well yes like it's very yeah. visually impressive right it's it's sonically impressive it's visually impressive and and literarily as well because you are choosing the lines of the song as they are being sung like it, you are you are you are an author in conjunction with this entire thing that is happening mm. and it is you know the game is split up into acts it is a play essentially and and you less play as characters and you more so direct where things are going by yeah. choosing dialogue options for all the characters and that's that's hit home in that transition between i think it is act three and four where you actually are in you are an actor on a stage yes and then you're in that play stuff happens but then the characters you're the the two artists well songwriters uh singers you're anticipating are johnny and junebug i believe yes, it is. and then yeah. you they actually become characters later in act i think it's between two and three and it's in yes. act three right you see them and then you're like okay right wow so this whole thing is a play potentially you know it's like implying that sure i mean i it's you know everything is open to to whatever kind of view of it you have but yeah. it, it does it does place itself structurally as so right um but that that moment when it transitions to this song that's happening and you see the skies above and everything and like the you know the colors and everything kind of swells there is this like transcendent majesty to that moment and then like it ends and you come back to it and you just hear that humming of the lights um in the dive bar and it's this kind of rooting it back in mundanity and, and reality mm. versus and I think that is what the game is. And the game, like near its conclusion, kind of has this approach to the importance of art versus, you know, the things that constrain that art. Um, uh, and I think that just that moment is is extremely good at conveying um, those ideas, essentially. Shall, shall we go into some of the details of, like, what were your interpretations of certain things in this game? So one I'm really curious is your view on are, like, Conway mm-hmm. is injury to his leg right um the yellow scale skeleton people that you see throughout the game at different points one of yeah. them is um actually coming into that bar that we were just talking about when the bar the barman is anticipating junebug and johnny in the interlude yeah the, the interlude, interlude and then these yellow skeletons come um my right. take on them is that they're just kind of like they're the they're almost like the system they're like they're like the i mean they're they're those who have been killed by the system right they're those who have been consumed by it that it is it is this idea of labor and bodies and things being taken away from you right like his leg being injured and his 
the constant like you're constantly having conversation between shannon and conway about like oh we should get that looked at we should go to this doctor and, you, and he's you always like oh for about an hour in game time right and it is that really slow man his leg is really screwed like we right need to and, get but, it but this is this is a truly specifically american problem right right in terms of medical care and having to pay for treatment and not having something like the nhs which allows you to not worry about you know going into debt for the reasons of oh no i got into an accident now i suddenly have to pay a bunch of money for it Mm -hmm. um it is it's it's kind of preying on that idea and the idea that you don't you kind of leave it alone because you don't have the means by which to fix it right as much as he is becoming like one of those yellow skeletons and then i guess he kind of in one interpretation i guess you could argue becomes that way eventually but um and you see that like like his arm changes at a very random moment and i never noticed and then i saw it as like oh my god his arm has gone that way as well yeah but it's the way that um not only are those who were in debt become like that but they also seem to also be the debt collectors in a way like they seem to be the people who turn up to say right you're coming into the not necessarily afterlife but you're coming to like this sure whatever in between that they've concocted that where you are the skeleton and then the scene where you're and they jump back to this where ezra and i can't remember the name of the character with ezra but shannon and conway split off from them and they go we're going to check out over here and then later in the game uh i think it's conway explains to ezra what they were doing and they went to this church and then they're in one of the pews and then the, this lift sucks them down into what's like some sort of factory that's run by these skeletal electric kind of people. And then they're just sort of like explaining to them about like the systems going on down here and the debt and this, that and the other. And then when they, when they get back to Ezra, they don't say anything. So it is confusing as to like, uh, I can't remember my original thread, what I was going to ask was, yeah, what, what, what was your interpretation of like these people? I mean, yeah, to me, it's just, it's the theme of the system basically dehumanizing and taking away any sort of agency, right, that that you have, while also being like, well, hey, this is, this is better than what was happening to you before, right? Because it's offered to him that he could potentially get medical care through this place that he's going to now work for, um, or that he can, you know have it's it's like he has the opportunity to to pay his debts by by being in this place right it is i think it is just trying to get across that idea that under this in in this like reality where this corporation has come along and bought up this whole town and then has abandoned it that the idea of capitalism just murdering you know taking things over and then just leaving them in in its wake and i think a lot of those people are just like the i guess the those who have been subsumed into a system um those who have no choice any any longer and it kind of don't really have agency anymore mm. um mm. and yeah it's you you know it's very hard to pin down because there is so much weirdness going on and none of it is overtly explained and that's really not what the point of it is it's it's just to kind of leave you with ideas and 
Um, and one of so here's a thing that like anecdotally was very interesting to me. Um, there's a moment in Act Four where you're going through this tunnel, and there are you know there's this phone line kind of thing going on, and there's this one worker who's working there, and she's telling you about how there used to be twelve people who worked here, and I was employee number twelve or whatever. And over time, uh, everyone got laid off, everyone got taken away, and she was ending up like being the last person there training a machine that was inevitably going to take her job from her but then kind of coming to this realization that actually maybe no yes that's not yes. what she's doing she's actually just there maybe because she's it's cheaper. The <laughs> she is the machine because yes. it's cheaper for the company to just leave right. her there doing the work of 13 mm-hmm. other people at once this yeah. overwork the idea of labor and and capitalism not giving workers the tools which yeah. to thrive and overworking them as well and then so i finished that act i went to tesco so i walked to tesco oh here we go um and like just to buy whatever and i'm standing in line to do the self-service checkout and inextricably the self-service checkout you know i don't know if this is a big thing in america or not i didn't really see it when we were over there um it tended to be lots of just going over to places where people were actually doing the work yeah i agree i've not seen it as much in the states. um, but it's very very common here now especially in supermarkets and the self-service was just fucked up it was like all six of the stations were flashing red and there's this one indian woman who's just panicking and like she's going around trying to help people trying to like stop everything from going wrong make it so that people people are angry people are annoyed by it and i'm like this is fuck this is the truest this fucking is, thing the system that, like, is just not working that it's it is such a it's like you look at it in in its representation in an, a piece of art like kentucky route zero and you're like okay yes like i i, I see what they're getting at but it, there is such a truism to it. Like, and, and seeing that firsthand... It's like trying to be more efficient. Here are the machines, and we right. have this one person there, and she can be responsible if anything goes wrong. And exactly. Then that simple formula just, in this moment you're talking about, just wasn't working. No, and, and it, it's because, you know, the, the, the place we are at right now in society is that the rich get richer by exploiting those underneath them in terms of well we could make even more money if we didn't pay any more people so how about first we're switching to machines we still need someone there to kind of figure it out in case something goes wrong so let's like underpay this person put them there to figure it out and you know they can deal with it right Mm. um and i that was just that just really struck me having literally just played act four and then that happening straight away it was this very illuminating thing yeah so one thing that hit me really hard, and I'm interested if you noticed this, was um, <clears throat> when you are introduced to Junebug and Johnny and they come in on their, it's like a motorbike with a sidecar. Yes. Yeah. And and they're all about performing and culture and they almost yeah. seem like this fre- breath of fresh air that they are the counter to this hardship of the right. capitalist system they're the culture is almost they, they like are they are literally thing. robots who have decided to self-style themselves and, and identify themselves and give themselves flavor and personality and right. flair and color right it took me so long to realize that they were robots yeah it's, but, it's very subtle because every time they walk you just right hear and the, i'm like what is that internal... and then i realize okay these the two freshest most pro sort of culture artists i guess in the whole game are robots and this is yeah like, what is what is this like that that really shocked me that the kind of the most open outward looking people were actually robots and it did yeah. it just it hit me in a moment in maybe end of act three middle of act four so and i did i kept hearing that noise that 
like the like yeah, that's the their joints moving and i just assumed it was um like the uh the ma- the mammoth boat or i assumed it was some other moving cog or wearing thing that was happening right. on screen and then all of a sudden i realized actually it's coming from them and that's when i was right they're robots and it is shocking that they the most positive kind of two people in the game <laughs> don't have to yeah. be real but, no, I mean, yeah. but but like, what is what is real? What is human, right? And that is, you know, yeah. the the idea of androids. And like, I think a lot of people have criticized David Cage's approach to that type of storytelling, being like, "Well, what if the androids were really people?" And it's like, okay, David Cage, we've done this before, right? We and I think like that's the smartness of Kentucky Route Zero is it doesn't even linger on that. Like it it knows that or it assumes that you're smart enough to to take that context and understand it within the larger whole. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the one of the things with approachability to this game is I I do think you'd need a certain not that you won't enjoy it if you if you aren't someone who likes to think about these types of things and ideas but you'll, is... you'll know pretty quickly if you're going to have a if you're going to get something out of it to be honest like the the yes the game evolves and changes but I don't think the pacing really feels like it changes like it no. feels, if you if you enjoy Act One you'll enjoy the rest and I. I'm not even sure if I enjoyed this game in like a traditional sense, but I did. Exactly. It's, it's, it kind of defies enjoyment, right? And, and to me, that's important because I don't think all games must be enjoyable. All games must be yeah. fun. There are some, and, and simple, similar to, you know, film or television or uh, literature, you know, we are in a world where there are pieces of art that exist that are not there for entertainment necessarily but they're there to, to say something i think it's important that games have made this step to that point as yeah. well and so there were like points in this game where the area i was in what they were trying to convey to me i just wasn't understanding in the slightest so maybe well, there's only maybe one or two or maybe three in total in the game where i was completely unaware of what this area meant and what yeah how it linked to anything if it even did and the, the one i mean is the is it like the exanadu the faxanadu machine yes is that right the right like, word i yeah that lasted for maybe 20 minutes half an hour and I swear to God, it all just completely went over my head. Like I completely yeah. didn't understand that. I don't know if you got much more out of that. that I mean, section. like it, it, the weirdness of it is that it blends reality and and the past in a way because there's a point at which you're doing all this stuff and it leads to the present, right? Where like the real Lula, Lula Chamberlain, who's like this person who you initially meet on the zero as like person, a clerk working in a bureau who also in one of the interludes is is talked about as this famous artist who then is just appears in the cave area um and is the person who's like we need to get where is the address for this uh, place that we're delivering this last package to um so there is a i i will say for me the most the place where the game is at its most just who knows what's going on is yeah. that cave section that ca- the entire cave section is just full of weird characters and... sorry which cave where you're on the boat going into the tunnel cave or the cave no the... the 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 cave with the burning um the, uh, computers in the middle right and, right okay and, yeah, all that right, stuff cool uh yeah no yeah. i agree <laughs> yeah it's definitely it's it's a thing and it's it's one of those things where i to some degree i appreciate the people who played this game as it came out because they had the time to breathe in which to 
to analyze and take it in and yeah i would have struggled massively having played this over that length of time i was i was struggling as it was playing it in the space of six to eight hours or right it was. Yeah. yes and it doesn't i don't think it it's one of those games where i think you should play an act at a time um i did play acts three and four in the same day i took a break between them um but it it definitely will you'll benefit if you are able to stir on it and just mm. kind of There's... sit and one of my criticisms would be that just how sheer how dense with text aspects of the game are and what i mean i'm not saying it's dense being dense with text is a bad thing i mean there are parts of text that just feel so so um not linked to anything and like so isolated that don't Mm -hmm. link to anything else going on that it can i found it difficult sometimes to concentrate on what bits of text what things i'm doing or not doing are more important than others and sure i mean like there are moments where they deliberately do that right right. there's there's a moment where you have two different characters with two different boxes alongside each other right simultaneously who are both both having a conversation with each other while also having their own internal monologue right yeah and the blending of internal monologue with the external that's going on like the internal and external is just it's a really smartly done thing but it is very hard to follow yeah, at times because and, I, you know, like with the whole thing that this is like one big play and you are essentially the director rather than the character and any line you say does become reality whether it's future past or present totally and, yeah um that takes a while to get used to because in the start i'm like right i'm conway i say this i do that and like uh-huh. a, like a like an, any other like point and click game you know and uh, like an oxen fear or whatever and and it very much isn't like that. and no. the faster you appreciate that you are that you look at it from the space of being like a, a director and um these are all your sort of puppets i guess or your characters you know and that there's lots of them and that they do link in certain ways that i think the if i'd known that earlier i pr- probably would have got more out of it from an earlier situation where it, i found this game kind of grew on me a bit more in the later acts and the game like visually does become more interesting i do think the later acts are much bolder and and yeah of course more visually interesting and like act four in particular some of the, one of the things that's very striking about it is it's it's ability to be incredibly artistic in a very minimalist way that's kind of unlike anything i've seen before in terms of like the zero itself uh like rotating wire frameness of it and then especially in act four the boat and the the river like the way in which that is created and it's just been depicted by lines on white lines on a black background yeah literally white lines on a black background and it is incredibly artistic still um so that that stuff was very impressive to me. I yeah, it does get more impressive as it goes on. But like Act Four in itself is pretty much just vignette to vignette. It's just like this series of places that you stop off on a journey, and each mm. one are disconnected from one another, and they're all kind of doing different things gameplay wise. It's it's all just but, this. But then areas in the zero, and there's one area where you do like take this boat and you see all these floating helmets. And then yeah. I think Shannon, she's like, this is a um, a memorial to like the the miners lost in the original mine where you meet Shannon in Act One, and it's yes. like, yeah, wow. And then she says like, and we don't. I really hope the company doesn't come and take these helmets away. It's like, and then she emphasizes like, they yeah. had to pay for those helmets. Like those are their helmets. Then yep. and it's just the company trying to 
squeeze every last bit back out of these people who have obviously died through mining incidents yep. or whatever and it's just yeah yeah that's one of the more overt sure things perhaps in this game uh and those are obviously the ones that i find the easiest to remember and right and, <laughs> and talk to, about yeah. in many no, aspects sure. but yeah i i the i'm only a few hours away from be, having beat this game but just in my mind in this conversation i am feeling more and more fond of it just as a result because in the moment there were points as i said where it is just very like text heavy and i made the text as large as possible so in some ways often oh interesting yeah so were you playing this on handheld and switch and how does it control on that versus um i guess you didn't have any like on pc it's very easy because it's clicking and the one of the really nice like visual touches they do is is there's this kind of nail in the ground with a horseshoe that like flings around it when you click on the screen to where you're supposed to go versus i think it's more like direct control on the switch like moving characters around right yeah there were like arrows that you essentially point at and that'll take you to that area of the right area uh vignette i guess they are um yeah, so what's your original question? What was it like on Switch? Yeah, um, I played like 90%, I'd say, handheld, uh, just because Caroline's playing Horizon Zero Dawn at the moment yeah, and she's yeah. in telly a lot. But, um, it, and it runs really well. And But yeah, that text, I just, because I started the game and the text is obviously tiny and it's not been designed for switch so I, it's totally understandable no i mean it worked for me on on pc right you know um, was, i'm very close to a big screen right as opposed to you so. so i was blowing up the text massively now in the other areas like it really did feel like it had been optimized perfectly because it was almost like a little scene like a bar or a cafe or some other area you're in and it would take up like just the lower third of the screen and then the top two thirds were like the text and it was like it had been done perfectly in order and then there were other parts where the texture took up the whole screen and it was kind of like a bit a bit strange but um yeah it, it worked and uh, i am quite a slow methodical reader and sure when i'm when i'm reading something that i feel isn't linking and then my mind will start wandering and then you, yes, think, you know yeah. get back on track and um yeah it's not easy especially with a game that is so um diverse in like what it's saying and it's not this just you know this one linear story that you're building on it's very much um it is a linear story but there are just so many i guess branches to what that story is telling that the linear story itself mm-hmm. is almost irrelevant to a degree and yeah to me it is it is essentially just a long poem right like it is that you you it, are able to write because right. you all constantly have a choice of like right exactly that is it's, it's this co-ownership between you and the developers you are you are part of like the construction of it and it's it's poetic in a lot of ways like the first one of the first things you do is to open up a computer you type in a three word a three line poem essentially um and and it's interesting because through the game you talk to the dog all the time and i started to be like oh every time you talk to the dog you ask it or you talk to it in three lines at a time and those to me started to flow like poems of their own right and and there's this reflection of poetry this this way in which it it kind of shifts mood and tone and is ethereal and and doesn't necessarily have these direct connections but is always shifting and and never kind of constant and and that is what the entire game is it is this like revolving door of ideas um and moments like lightly interconnected but also very closely um linked it's uh it's yeah it's just a very it's indiscernible in so many ways and yet very clear in its 
ideas and clarity in its its message and especially by the end like i think it it ends in a way that i think you to some degree can author the tone of the ending but i think for the most part the setting the way that it wraps up is like it it has a a hopeful kind of conclusion and i think that that is is definitely not necessarily what you might have expected from it but i think it it does it very well Uh, yeah act five is um it's not what i was expecting but i agree it is more hopeful and so we talk about some of the specifics of act no i think i think you know people people are still playing through this it's just come out and um i think we've touched on enough like things to where people have a good idea so um so yeah, I, do, I really have... I, I think it's one of those games that I will stew on for a long time and will probably keep coming up in my mind and like I'll keep revisiting moments from it and, and thinking about it. And uh, and I don't really know how to like <laughs> place it. Like it, To me, it is, it is very difficult when it comes to something like Game of the Year to even include this in a conversation because in so many ways, it's not really a, a game. Like it's... I don't know. It's very... It's hard. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um yeah anything else to say bally um i'm glad i played it because it is very far out of my comfort zone and um i i got a lot out of it um and it was kind of if you compare it to something like inside where i wanted inside to be something it turned out to not be and i was yeah. never hoping that this game was going to be something it wasn't and that kind of right it was kind of like obviously better. what it yes. was from the outset yeah. it was yeah. more obvious whereas inside i don't think actually is very obvious about what it's going to be at the start to uh, be i think i think it is but you know <laughs> anyway, we'll differ opinions on a, but um opinion. no this game sits better with me from like uh what it's trying to say perspective in that sense as much as i think inside is obviously like a very good um puzzle platformer and oh yes totally different action related kind of way totally yeah um cool uh before we wrap the segment i'll quickly talk about another game that i played uh, which is just totally in the different direction uh which is thumper um it's a game that got a lot of buzz when it came out and is this weird rhythm game where you play as this beetle on this note highway in some ways it it compares to guitar hero yeah uh and it's just fast and violent and just like really difficult near the end as well when did it come Um, out it was 2016 maybe 2017 could have been 2017 make waves at Um, the time yeah no a lot of people liked it i think um alex navarro over at giant bomb gave it his game of the year um and uh you know obviously he very much likes rhythm games is very much into music driven things and this game is is that in a sense but it's really it's really also kind of like a runner in the sense that there are distinct levels that you go through and you have to finish they'll always be the same so you can learn them in a similar way to like a bit trip game essentially but it is this forward momentum of like you're behind the back of this beetle who is like riding this highway and the obstacles you come across come at you incredibly fast and so you're often looking into the distance right your your eye is often trained on not the beetle itself but what is coming up so that you can react fast enough to it to get past it because if you're not like these things just happen in an instant and it's really difficult for you to maintain your momentum if you get thrown off once basically you you get one free hit and if that goes then you die on your next hit so basically you have one one life per uh per run as you go through and that makes it very tricky um it makes it so that you need to have a, a great deal of precision um but not everything needs to be 
hit, right? There are some things where you can miss notes on the highway, you'll get a lower score for it, but you won't be destroyed by it, versus these banks almost like these turns left and right where you essentially scrape on the side of the uh, the track and it turns you to the left or to the right if you go into one of those and you're not holding the right direction you'll smash into it and you'll take damage uh, or you'll die essentially so the game builds itself slowly like it introduces these ideas over the first course of the first second third areas and it's interesting because i think the sixth or fifth world out of nine total is where it really just hits its peak of difficulty and then it kind of just maintains that peak the whole way through it is just this real adrenaline rush of you have to be so incredibly focused the whole time because if you lapse in your concentration you will just completely lose it and you'll just be thrown off and there were definitely especially boss fights where the boss fights are interesting in that you need to hit every single note compared to mm. the other levels where oh, wow. you can miss them. And how long and is ev- a level? How long are you concentrating this oh, intensely I mean, for? It varies. Like the one world can have like 30 levels in it and those 30 levels, one of them could be 10 seconds long. One of them could be up to a minute in length. And like a minute sounds short. Not in thumper. Like a minute long thing feels like a goddamn eternity because of the speed at which things are happening um so so it it kind of fluctuates and flows and there will definitely be like there'll be riffs or chords or like rhythms and they're not overtly musical but like they will be beats right there'll be beats of like boom 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 and you will see that phrase repeated throughout the levels and it will be it will kind of be muscle memory built into you it's very clever in that way in that it sets up these sequences that it will use in one level and then like three levels later it will bring it back and it will build into the rhythm and then it will mix it with another one that you've learned and so it almost is this amalgam of pieces that you are putting together and you somehow are able to get through them because of this muscle memory that has been built from the previous uh, ones that you've gone through uh, and so by the end like each time i got up to a boss it would be this slow process of like learning the first pattern the second pattern the third pattern and you have to do all these four or five in a row without failing and by the end you're just like you're you're like dream walking your way through the first one like it's not even a, a problem versus the first time you do it you're like oh god this oh no okay but it's it's all about learning it and knowing what's coming to then you can just be like flick 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 flick, flick and it just happens right it's this instant um you know muscle memory and i really enjoyed it a lot it's i think it definitely gets to a point where it's like okay it's like somewhat overwhelming especially if what you want to hit everything um there are particular parts of the highway which are like barriers that you knock into so if you hold down the button your beetle will like close its shell and go hard essentially which means that you can scrape by the um the turns and you can also knock through the barriers but then there are also barriers that are in the sky and if you press a and if you hold up and press a on a note the beetle will lift and kind of float and like flap its wings and it can knock into some of the higher up um barriers will we'll give you extra points and there was a point at which i was like i can't do this like i can't hit every note because my 
the speed at which I need to switch between things is too much. So I basically was ignoring a lot of the high notes for most of the latter half of the game. And it's one of those things I kind of wish that Guitar Hero drums did this or Rock Band drums did this. The My biggest problem with playing drums in those types of games is the foot pedal. Like I cannot do the foot pedal while also doing everything else. Yeah, and it's hard. And those higher barriers to me felt like the foot pedal of Thumper. But at least in Thumper, I can just miss them and I don't get penalty for it, right? Like, and I kind of wish there was a mode in Guitar Hero Rock Band where it's like, oh, just don't worry about the foot pedal, just focus on the drums. Um, and and maybe that's just a personal thing with me. I, you know, I've not played drums; it's not something that I'm tuned into. It is like a rubbing your stomach and patting your head at the same time. I think it's one of those things as well that if you say you did want to learn drums, it would be really difficult at first, but then it would just click. And then once you've once it's clicked, then I think it it's one of those things that just kind of works yes yeah definitely it's it's a thing that takes time to just practice and learn and ultimately i think i was just at a point where i I can't i just it's too much so uh, i appreciate the game allows you to to skip that that stuff and there are definitely like it gets a little more complicated they add a couple of lanes sometimes and they will put things like really fast at you and i i found it very relish like i relish the challenge of it while also finding it at moments to be needlessly difficult. Um, so it, it kind of it, it had its ups and downs. At the end, I was glad that I pushed through and did it and finished it. Um, but I, I'd say it's uh, it's definitely... I, I wouldn't call it a Marmite game, but I think it's one of those games that you'll you'll kind of know how your mileage will vary depending on how you do in those first few levels or so. Right, um, right. But yeah, it's definitely worth playing. It's uh, if you like rhythm games in the vein of a Guitar Hero, this is just that on crack. And like, as someone who plays Dragon Force through the Fire and Flames on hard on Guitar Hero, and like that's kind of the peak of where I'm at. I found this a good challenge and and Jeez. definitely different in its own right. Um, it's definitely unique and yeah, again, just something that I've not really played like before it's uh it's just this mixing of ideas yeah i'd like to try it in vr definitely i want to see what that's like because... god i i would throw up so <laughs> fast if this was in vr because it is just non-stop speed going forward and like if i'm sitting still and that's happening i don't think i can handle it um i'm sure that you would have a field day it is on psvr right Do we know it is that? yes yeah. um so you can just buy the game and you can play it either out of vr or in vr it's uh, it's on switch um and yeah it's it's kind of a it's a unique experience um that uh, is pretty cool uh so nice so yeah thumper glad to have played that um and that is going to close us out for first segment thank you for listening we'll be back after the break with a uh big long one uh, talking about our impressions our report card for the switch for the last three years don't go anywhere we will be right back black smoke's horizon and it surely is a train surely is a train boys surely is a train black smoke's horizon and it surely is a train I'm Two dollar bill. I'm 
Alrighty folks, welcome back to the last part of the show. It's time to take the switch and discipline her, you know? It's had a good three years in school, it's time to give it a good telling off and tell it what it did good and what it did right, um, and uh, and give it a report card, because... Uh, because we look, this podcast, we we are shameless here. Uh, we steal ideas from every which way. <laughs> so our offended report card for the switch recently. So I was like, hey, Bali, why don't we do that as well and maybe make it into a whole segment? Thing. We're, we're a uh, collage and, uh, of podcast ideas. We are look, into one unified, fantastic podcast. You know, people say Shovel Knight is Mega Man and Zelda and all these things, but Shovel Knight's its own thing, man. This Nintendo Life is its own thing, even if it takes ideas from good things as well um so yeah uh basically we're going to do a rundown of the switch it's almost three years old we're getting close it's a couple of months away um and we also had some hardware numbers and software numbers come out from nintendo's recent financials uh which gives us a good indication of like where we stand with switch at the current moment in time um on the market how it's doing overall and uh and it's i think it's just a good time to go over some of the things that have happened in the course of his lifespan and kind of grade them on a scale uh, and give our thoughts on them so the the kind of different areas we're going to be marking today are hardware first party software third party software um marketing or messaging and um their services uh, which is a bunch of different things i have an idea and shoot me down if you just want to roll this into third party do we want to have yeah. one more for indie uh, that I'm rolling indie into third party. Fair enough. It's assu- it's assumed. Um, yeah, basically. So so we can talk about all that stuff together in one big bonanza. Um, but I mean, the switch numbers did come out. Maybe we'll start with that and talk about where the system is at currently. Uh, they basically came out and said that it's past fifty million, uh, which means it is outsold the Super Nintendo. The Super Nintendo was forty nine million units sold over its lifetime. So three years in, not even three years in yet, and we have surpassed what many believe is the best Nintendo console of all time. Um, And interestingly enough, we're about 10 million away from the NES. So the Switch is now the third best-selling Nintendo console. And there's a big gap, obviously, because the Wii was such a raging success that it hit the 100 million mark like few consoles do uh although sony seems to do a good job of that sony have passed 100 million with three out of four of their consoles uh but nintendo have only done it with one home console they've obviously done a bunch with you know game boys past 100 million so is ds ds is the best ds is the best selling piece of video game hardware ever uh it sold better than the ps2 which a lot of people don't seem to call into uh account but it has so that's very interesting um so, yeah, it's the it's third best-selling Nintendo home console of all time. Uh, if we talk handheld, then probably a little bit lower on the on the ladder. But uh, how how do you feel about these numbers, Bally? Because they came out and they're like, um, yeah, we sold 52 million. Also, here are all the software numbers for all these games. I think a few stand out to me. Pokemon Sword and Shield, 16 million in, like, just over a month. Because is, these numbers uh, are from December, right? So yes, sold yeah. even more at, as we speak than these numbers suggest. Exactly. It was up to I think the thirty first of December. Um so basically the full full calendar year, which was I guess it came out on the fifteenth of November, so it was a month and a half or so it had on the market. But uh it's uh this thing is fucking selling a lot of copies and I, I think it just 
it really settles the question of like, well, you know, the internet mob and, and people, they get angry and they're like boycotting things like, I'm not going to buy this because of Dexit, la la la. Turns out um, that none of those people matter at all in any way. It shows, how, it shows how vocal like of a minority they are, really. Where yeah. They, you might get the impression, oh, that, that might be quite a lot of people who have that view and in reality, the numbers don't back it up. Yeah, totally. And, you know, there are legitimate criticisms of Sword and Shield. It's not a perfect game at all. There are definitely a bunch of issues it has, but I think that some of the shit was just overblown and, and stupid. So, uh, hey, if if you are sitting there and you're like, man, Game Freak, why don't you buck up your ideas? Why don't you move forward in the 21st century and make a modern video game? This proves they don't fucking have to and they're not going to. So, I'm sorry, but if you have any expectations that Pokemon is going to pull a breath of the wild, uh, it's not. Uh, at least not for the next decade, probably. Like, I just can't imagine them even bothering having posted yeah. numbers like this. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's nonsensical for them to do so. Like, why would they? Um, so, alas, that's how it goes. Uh, but, you know, we've got our first uh, game to pass the 20 million mark, which is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, a port uh, a Wii U game that you know uh, was very infamous. There was a, this Polygon article that went up that was like a pie chart of like Mario Karts that have sold on systems, and like they were predicting the Mario Kart Eight was going to be the worst selling Mario Kart of all time, and blah blah. It's very funny in retrospect now that Mario Kart Eight has sold this many fucking copies. Uh, it's, it's interesting with Mario Kart at the top, where and obviously one of my predictions for this year was that we might get a new Mario Kart announced this year, year that comes out next year. And then you hear, the, you hear the, the point made that, oh, but Mario Kart 8 is selling so well, why on earth would they want to get in the way of that potentially by having another Mario Kart? And I can see that angle, but I, I don't buy it in the sense that, like, look, we've got Breath of the Wild 2 coming. Breath of the Wild is still selling pretty well. It's sitting on 16.3. We've just had Pokemon's right. Ring Shield come out, and we just had Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee that came out last year. I, would, I wouldn't argue that it's eating that tail. You know, like, I think there is room when Nintendo can say, you can have more than one, like we have Mario Kart Tour right now, I guess that's another aspect, but like you can have more than one Mario Kart and they can work off each other and both sell very well. I don't think it's necessarily an either or situation. No, it's, it's not an either or situation. I think it's just a lot of people probably from tradition of like one Mario Kart per system type deal. And it's a weird situation because it's an older game that's just been moved over yeah it's the first time mario kart's been remade right so it completely changes right and the other thing we need to keep in mind is that each generation there were two mario karts because we had one handheld one console right you had mario kart ds alongside mario kart wii and because that console is their handheld now i mean it doesn't mean they can't do it but it's just like it's just a different scenario right um so and let's think about it right the the last thing the mario kart team made was arms and that was in 2017 it's been three years practically um i coming up on april it will have been three years since arms came out you imagine the mario kart team have been working on something is it another new ip is it arms 2 i doubt it's arms 2 uh it's potentially them doing another mario kart style thing so we'll see but that is definitely that's on the books i think to be announced this year at the very least um potentially so 
yeah i mean just it, overall this this top five is staggering it's like smash at 17 million odyssey and breath of the wild both at 16 million breath of the wild sneaking up on odyssey because you'll remember when odyssey came out it blew past breath of the wild and by it was over by a, a little bit of a margin despite breath of the wild having a whole year to sell compared to odyssey's one month on the market mm. um but breath of the wild over time has i feel like the word of mouth on that game just is so good and is is one it's one of the games that people talk about the most with switch odyssey i think people do mention a lot but breath of the wild is so it's just it's a gta 5 situation it's a minecraft situation it's, it never leaves the conversation essentially right. and i think that's part of the reason why it continues to grow and get momentum behind it and i think by this point it's the best-selling zelda game of all time like it must be um it's mm. it's killing it so um but yeah, some... what's the game? What's the game in the top twenty that you look at and you just sigh because it sold so well and it's not up there with the quality of you know Mario Kart, Smash Brothers, Super Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild. Right. There's I one mean, that sticks that... out for me, and that's New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. <laughs> yeah, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. Sure, the big one is Super Mario Party. I mean, come <laughs> like nine million. I, it speaks to Are the. You saying Mario Party like... is a bad franchise. I'm saying that Mario Party is can be good. Uh, I, I'm saying that I think that the market for Switch, like the types of people who play Switch, are the types of people who grew up playing N64 Mario Party, right? And so I think it was a genius move for them to put one out, um, for it to use the Joy-Cons and to do a bunch of nonsense. I think it looks pretty fun as far as Mario Parties go. Um, it's just I wish they would... I wish they'd let people play Mario Party online. You know, just maybe just give that yeah. as an option to people. Um, that would be nice. But I don't know. It's it, I, it's people seem to have fun with it. I'm not saying it's a bad game, but it's just it's one of those that leapt out to me as soon as I saw that. I was like, really? It's almost all 10 million. Um, one two switch is very is doing very well, or it did very well. I don't think it's really selling anymore. Well, no, I don't think it is doing very well. I think that it hit that cap of three million in 2017. I don't think it's sold beyond that since 2017. To be frank with you, um, it was basically like a launch game where it's like everyone bought it and then after that nothing right like it was it's pretty much the only people who own one two switch are the people who bought it within that launch year right, i i right. feel like it's just left the shelves or, or the digital marketplace anyway um so yeah um it's interesting overall and i think that it's pretty cool that you have stuff like you know three houses is getting there um mario tennis is, is done well for itself and i think luigi's mansion three I think some people will be shocked by how well that game has done, but as I was telling you beforehand, Luigi's Mansion 2 killed it on 3DS. It's one of the best-selling 3DS games, and so I'm not surprised at all that Luigi's Mansion 3 has done really well. Like, it's the best-selling game outside of Pokemon from a first-party perspective last year. Um, You know, outsold Mario Maker and Link's Awakening, and it came out later in the year than either of those games. Yeah. So, and it's a much better game than the second game, and by that I mean I think it will get like that Breath of the Wild. It will get good word of mouth and like, oh, have you tried yes. this game? Lose match in three, and then if people say, oh, I didn't much like the second game, like, well, doesn't matter. This game's way better, you know. And I think sure, I, I'd yeah. be confident saying that to anyone who did have any issues with the second game that this is a, a far improved game. Totally. Um, so, so yeah, I think that you know we're in a we're in a cool place for Nintendo right now. They're just firing on all cylinders, and uh, things are going well. Um, video games are selling the general number of video games that are selling well when we're not even three years in 
is i think the most shocking part where these numbers feel like the system's been around for five six seven years and it's obviously not and it just right. it's that trajectory that i think you think about the potential of what this could be and if it could become like an 80 to 100 million system in the next two to three to four years uh that's going to put like nintendo in a much better place than i think they could have ever predicted perhaps with the launch of this thing yeah i i think that they were a bit bullish about the second year right second year you'll remember they posted we're going to sell 20 million units of switch and 2018 was not a good year for switch really like there wasn't a big first party banger outside of smash brothers at the end of the year um there was really no poster child like it was very very thin they were carried by indies and some cool third party games but they didn't have enough in 2018 for them to post those numbers 2019 however huge momentum you know you think about black friday deals with third year into the system's life so many games so many things that people can play that you know is outside of the traditional nintendo ecosystem and they have just blown past that number this right. year. So. i mean of the top 10 you've got one two three games from 2018 uh and then from 2017 you've got number one number three four uh five five games out of the top 10 and then i think 2019 somewhere in the middle you know like so as you say like it's it was a kind of a slower year as much as smash brothers ultimate is like selling fantastically well yeah um and it's a unique case of course and smash brothers continues to sell because the dlc continues to do marketing for them um it's a, it's a real big it's a train they, they ride that train choo choo uh Cool. So let's then move on to our report cards and, and talking about the the various attributes of the Nintendo Switch over the past three years. Um, start with hardware. Hardware is an interesting one because for me, and I tweeted about this the other day, the Switch is the worst Nintendo hardware in years, but it's also the best Nintendo hardware in years. Yeah, it's, it's such this weird, it's this weird situation where the the base concept of Switch, the idea of it, the sleekness of the design. Um, the, the feel of it as a quality product, right? Like 3DS, DS, all these handhelds in the past have, have felt durable and, and, and solid and you can drop them and they survive, right? Like there's the Game Boy that survived the Gulf War. It's in the Nintendo New York store. You can go see it. But none of those really felt like high quality products in the same way that you would think about something like a Vita, right? Like Sony took the approach of a of more high-end tech product versus a not to call them toys, but like versions of the DS and 3DS felt more kid-friendly, toy-like. Like the 2DS especially yeah. is a system that you look at and it's like it's a fucking door slab that you open a, <laughs> a door with. Um, the Switch is not that. It is so in the opposite direction. My fir- my initial viewing of the Switch in that reveal trailer they did in, in 2016 was, holy shit, it's sleek. Like I was so surprised by the tech productness of it. That said as much as it's nice to use and and fun and cool it's just riddled with problems like the joy con drift is a fucking nightmare my second uh, stick on my right joy con has now started to do drifting as well so that's fucking sucks um and nintendo have done nothing about it and i think this is the ultimate problem is they hear people complaining about it in north america at least they have been like you can send it in for free repairs they didn't do that in europe you can't get free repairs in Europe, so you just have to go out and buy a fucking new Joy-Con. Um, 
and like they keep putting out these new colors and designs they just announced a fucking animal crossing switch dock with new joy cons that look pretty nice those are the ones i might probably buy after these because for fuck's sake mine don't work anymore but it's like nintendo you need to fix the fundamental issues with the design of the joy con and they're just not doing it whether it's too much of an r&d cost or whether they have plans in the future with a switch pro to just upgrade everything and then do it all at once i don't know um but there's also the idea of like the switch light now being in the ecosystem and potentially the switch light having the same problems mm. the only problem with the switch light is you can't change there's no joy cons like it's just a system um it's all built in so for me it's a huge black mark uh in a way that i haven't been disappointed with nintendo hardware quality in forever since the ds light and its hinge problems really uh it's the last time i had personal issues with how how durable something was yeah and i think that when you when you talk about like hardware issues in the past i know another big one was people throwing like their wiimotes into screens and or, that, or almost at windows or in almost your at case. windows and that <laughs> seems to may have made more headlines because i think it's more dramatic i think that we obviously sold faster at that point in time roughly speaking and like obviously yeah. everyone had wii sports they were swinging their arms like regardless of the scale of joy-con drift people are getting i think we can agree it does take quite a lot of wear and tear to get to that point it isn't instantaneous in the same way that oh you can swing your arm and let go of a wiimote by accident and through sweat or whatever you've been doing and it just flies into your telly so i think that it's a more subtle issue and it really feels like nintendo just doubled down and said you know it's not a big deal to us and it's not making i think i honestly think the whole reason that like you know the wiimote condom things came out with the rubber protection was because of the headlines it was because of the media bite on this thing and there hasn't been that same media bite outside of um you know video game outlets uh right i think had that been the case like i think there might have they might have felt a bit more pressure to do something but as it stands Enough people are mugs like me who get the Joy-Con drift just think, right, well, can I send this in? Apparently not. Well, I'll have to go without my Joy-Cons for however long. Oh, well, I could just buy some more Joy-Cons. And like, yes, they're expensive, but ultimately, like, um, it's a seamless transition to just play more Switch games. And I think Nintendo have just decided, you know what, people like me who are mugs will make up the majority of people who people who the issue annoys the most i should say so they are just generally you know people who are buying a lot of games if you buy a lot of games that implies you got a lot of money to spend on video games if you're spending sure. a lot of money on video games you're more inclined to uh upgrade your joy not upgrade but get new joy cons so i think they're just right not not to even speak of the fact that if you're playing more video games the hardware is being used more and therefore it's more exactly. likely to find these faults happen right. because it's right. just through wear and tear essentially yeah and the more you actually talk to people who have played switch a lot initially it felt like it was like a third of people then it was 50 percent. then it was 60 percent. now it feels like it's about 80 to 90 percent of people who have have, if you've sunk 100 hours into uh uh, i was gonna say skyward sword breath of the wild um i reckon it's about an 80 percent chance you have experienced in some way joy-con drift and like that is just shocking um and as i said i think yeah unfortunately the market this time has spoken and said you know what consumers aren't caring enough about that issue this time around and the media aren't just getting on on it like they were with the Wiimotes and you know I think Nintendo unfortunately have won this round 
Yeah, and the other thing that I you just brought up that I completely forgot about, uh, you didn't bring it up, but you reminded me of it, is like when I was playing Breath of the Wild at launch, it wasn't Joy-Con drift. It was that issue where connectivity would fuck up if you held the Joy-Con away from you. Like Game Explained did that video where Andre like put it behind his back and started moving it around, right. and it was just like glitching about. And like sometimes Link would just walk on his own, and the way to fix it was to like open up your Joy-Con and put like a fucking like rubber thing or uh, like a foam thing in there to like uh, get the connector or whatever or the the wi-fi something was being interrupted the bluetooth was being interrupted whatever it was and that was a launch issue um which my joy cons are still suffering i still have launched joy cons and you know it's not even been three years and they are pretty fucked up uh completely <laughs> you know and they're still playable i still play games but it really is annoying um and it it's one of those things that i wish had been fixed um but i think, I think animal, animal crossing might be the straw that breaks the camel's back with you where it's a case of maybe you want to play it handheld you want it just there in your palm and all of a sudden you just keep walking into the sea and you know it's just like oh for god's sake i keep missing bugs i'm trying to creep yeah, up on them slowly and then i just like run and goes like, awry you are going to get rage it's like that's the rarest time. fucking scorpion no <laughs> i could have had it for my museum god damn it um yeah so so for me it's just such a huge bummer and not even to mention the pro controller d-pad which fucking sucks like obviously this your mileage will vary in terms of how sensitive you are to this shit and trust me i'm fucking sensitive to it right like i think i think think it does you've been unlucky like mine feels fine and i do use the d-pad quite a lot like i think the thing is is, i have the xenoblade one which is not really it's supposed to be a better d-pad potentially some people had speculated anyway um but Bali, I, I, you don't actually use the D-pad that often. Is the problem? I, do. I don't. You do not. You played fucking all these two D platformers with an analog stick. You're a heathen. I, I rotate. You're I, an absolute I genuinely heathen. do rotate, and I have played a lot of stuff with my D-pad on my Pro Controller, and it feels fine. And I'm not denying I, what you I don't experience. believe it. You don't, I'll prove it to you, but like, it, no, it feels you're just not sensitive fine. enough. The thing is, Bali, that your pro controller will be fucked up. You just don't have the same sensitivity. That's not the case at all. I guarantee it is hundred percent the case. I guarantee, I guarantee you. because because fine. like you you can do this test right where you press left or right and it will do up or down inputs. Like it is fucked up. It is so screwed over, um, and it's not the end of the world, but it happens often enough. And like when I was playing the Messenger, for example, that's a game where you want precision. You can't have things messing you up. And often I would be pressing to the right, and it would just like go up or down or whatever, and it would just screw with things and my angles. It was uh, it was a bad deal. Uh, and Celeste is the big one for me. Celeste was. When I tried to play with a D-pad on the Pro Controller on Celeste, I was like, I can't do this. I literally couldn't play it. Um, it felt... Because the angles are so important, like the diagonals are so important in that game, and the diagonals just don't read properly. Uh, they simply don't. Um, and and I think, you know, y- you could you can have your personal preferences with d-pads and analog sticks for me personally the pro controller analog sticks are too high i don't like them they should be a bit lower i'm very like there are not many people as finicky as me about control and movement and controllers uh but on a personal level there's just so many problems um all across the board Um, but don't make it i beat celeste on the tv and for half of that game i played with the d-pad and it was fine I promise. I, I just you you were playing the regular game. You didn't do any of the fucking B sides, motherfucker. That's not try, to say. Try playing. Try playing a World Five uh, seaside uh, with that D pad and come back to me and then then tell me how All you right, feel let's do about it. it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, 
anyway all that to say i yeah I'm, i'm disappointed in a lot of aspects but also like it's a system where i put more hours into it than anything else because it is just so easy to play and pick up and nice and the screen is gorgeous like can we talk about how amazing the screen is on the switch it is one of my favorite aspects of the system Mm. it's not it doesn't feel like a nintendo screen and it is still the only handheld screen that you can play you know standard uh home console games like that is still a thing with you know obviously other companies not backing the whole handheld thing right now yeah totally it's um it's a great boon for the system it's like why people buy it and even you know when i was playing it on the plane and like i had my headphones in i had my pro controller out just with the screen sitting there on the, the tray table uh playing astral chain and i was like in it you know like i felt like i was playing a console game but on an airplane it was pretty amazing um yeah. so when those situations happen and everything clicks with the hardware it's better than most things out there it's just i wish that nintendo had more of an r&d pass on a lot of these aspects and maybe you know as i said they will go forward and and add some of these things change things um yeah uh any other aspects you want to hit i think still the battery life has always been an issue um we've kind of got around it with you know Mm. giant battery packs but yes i wish it was better you know yeah i don't yeah it's one of those things I've gotten used to. You can't obviously get used to a dodgy D-pad or a dodgy Joy-Con and Joy-Con in the same way, arguably. But factoring in that battery life, uh, and obviously buying the battery packs as we have, just feels like it's frustrating. It's not good, but I don't know of other tablets and things with a, a screen that's as crisp as that, especially that are driving you know video games that would be able to last longer. I, I'm skeptical of that. Yeah um obviously there's new hardware they've introduced in the switch life cycle we have ring fit adventure with the ring con and we have labo stuff which is just its own weird entity um so you know nintendo continue to put out peripherals to whatever degree um i feel like it's been less so than previous generations um you know the wii was just abounding with peripherals and i think we we've kind of walked back from that somewhat but i think the peripherals we've got are, are more interesting they're wacky in their own way um and from what i've heard like ring fit like tremendously good like as a product as a as a as a working fitness tool i i still want to pick up ring fit and i think that that's a that's a benefit to the system the only problem is like if you own a switch Lite, you can't play ring fit adventure unless you go out and buy joy cons um but hey that's uh that's the way it goes sometimes so do you have a grade for hardware ballet uh, or should i go first you can go first okay my grade for hardware is a b minus um again i feel like it's it's one of those areas where i'm very 50 50 on because there are so many things that annoy me but also like fundamentally it's, it's still great um so that's why i'm like i'm b but like there's i I think the the negatives lean out a bit more than they do for other people, so I go B minus on the hardware. I'm going to go for a B. Uh, I agree with you on some of the hardware stuff in terms of like the Joy-Con drift, and obviously I've been luckier with the and uh, not analog the D-pad on the Pro controller, but it's just that concept of the hardware switching between handheld and home console is too good. It is so good, and before it came, the Switch came out. It was always one of those things that. I thought it'd be pretty cool, but I didn't know how much it would actually impact the way I play games. And it is it works so fantastically well. So I have to give it a B overall, kind of high points and low points put together. Yeah, I, the other thing I will mention is like I, 
I don't really play it on the TV ever. Like, I barely play my Switch on the TV. And I think the reason for me is because I like to play games while doing other things a lot of the time. And so I like just having my computer on and just sitting here with my Switch in my hand as I play a video or I play a podcast at the same time. And the way that works for me is like it, it's so easy for me to close it, pause it, put it down, go downstairs if I get called to do a thing. Like it's just, it's very flexible in that way. So like a game like Okami that I'm playing at the moment, that's the type of game where in the past, like Twilight Prince or something, you sit down, you're like, okay, I have three hours. I need to do this dungeon. Whereas Okami, I'm like, I'll play for five minutes. Oh, I need to go do a thing. Okay. Come back later. Oh, I'm about to go to bed. I'll play 10 minutes. You know, and I'm just in the dungeon the whole time. And like, there's no there's no penalty for it. it's like it's so easy to just hop in and out of games like that and i play like game i play games like that a lot more than you do i think i think you you're far more like i will sit down for a session and i will play this session and then i will do something else whereas i'm far more fluid with the way i yeah. play games and and pick things up and put things down um so for me just handheld wise it's yeah it's i also have like fantastic i've got a big 4k tv and like our new flat in the living room so it just makes sense for me to want to play it on that because it just like games look really good on it uh including loads of sure. switch games so it's just kind of like that's my preference yeah that's fair enough um cool Should say i've got a lot of b- building work going on at the moment it just kind of started when we started oh, oh that's fine i i haven't heard too much of it. hopefully it doesn't come through too badly on okay the recording um, right let's move on to the first party lineup of nintendo switch games um I think it's a pretty strong lineup overall. Uh, there are issues I have with it. I think that it is very heavily bolstered by Wii U ports. Uh, for God's sake, the best-selling game on the system is a Wii U port. Um, you have games like Smash Brothers, which is pretty much the Wii U version. I know I'll get crucified from some people for saying that, but like, if you talk about the mechanics of it, like, sure, there are a bunch of tiny little changes. It plays slightly differently, but like, from a visual standpoint, from a pretty like from a from a layman's perspective for someone who who doesn't know how to wave dash right like it's pretty similar to the wii u version all things considered um and you've got mario maker 2 which is like incremental in the in the most basic way you got splatoon 2 which is incremental in the most basic way um the wii u really was just like the beta switch in terms of here are all these amazing ideas and things on the wii u and the switch is like i'll have that and that and i'll take that too and this also and like we'll put them out again and they'll do better because people like this system now um so for me there's lots of releases that come out like january is a great example of like tokyo mirage sessions is out and i'm like i played that four years ago cool i I mean i'm glad more people get to play it but like doesn't really do anything for me because i played that game already um and you know mario kart is a game that both of us have played and we still haven't bought the switch version um there's loads of examples Donkey Kong country tropical freeze which you own on switch because you really like that game and i don't know how much you played it on in switch but um you know rayman legends like loads of games that have come over and our first party game rayman doesn't count in that you know you know what i'm saying though like Mm. so many first party games are coming over to the system or the games that we're getting feel incremental so for me like the actual original new switch games it does, it's not actually a huge number that like a big bangers like for me it's breath of the wild and odyssey which you know like those two alone kind of make it incredible because they're yeah. it, not since the n64 and mario 64 and ocarina of time have we had such a strong pairing of mainline mario and mainline zelda i think you know 
you know sunshine's a fucking mess um i think like twilight princess and galaxy is pretty good if you say skyward sword and galaxy 2 also a pairing but there's it hasn't been this strength of quality since 64 and ocarina uh with odyssey and breath of the wild i honestly think odyssey and breath of the wild are both going to be the go-to games in those series that are talked about in 20 years time like i'm probably I'm yeah confident of that um no, and, i wouldn't be surprised yeah and this is another one for me where it has only been three years but they're already like um you know odyssey breath of the wild luigi's mansion there's already my three favorite games in those franchises that have like come to switch and they've managed to like massively outdo their prequels and so for me, like it, I, I rate them really highly in this aspect, and I kind of like I agree with you about the all the the first party ports, and I'm sure there's more to come that will probably be announced in the direct that's coming soon. But um, I just kind of think they don't bother me too much because no, they don't bother me at all. I think it's great they're putting them out there. I and honestly, it's not it's not like I feel they are wasting resources or anything because I doubt many of these studios are putting their time into making ports like they're outsourcing a lot of these things i imagine and stuff like that so it's not like development time is only being put into old games um it's just i think it's kind of what nintendo needed in terms of i don't know if they could have held together with like a good momentum of releases like once a month in 2017 and like 2019 as well like having these these games come out on a consistent basis without that support of hey we always have 3d world in the back of our pocket just in case we have a bit of a drought in between things right Um, yeah it works their benefit i you know michael huber on easy allies is always like never going to complain about ports because there's always going to be people who've not played that game there's always going to be people who can come to this for the first time and be like oh this is a great way for me to experience this um so i'm not i'm not going to poo poo any of them i I just think that from a personal level and that's what we're grading this on is a personal level I often have been like, well, you know, yes, but uh, I've already been here, done this kind of thing, you know. Yeah, um, totally. What, so, what grade are you thinking? Uh, well, the, so the the main games for me that kind of stick out, again, is like it's Breath of the Wild Odyssey. Fire Emblem is a huge one. Fire Emblem, I thought, was fantastic. Uh, Xenoblade 2 as well. Like, loved Xenoblade 2, an amazing game. Uh, and then Luigi's Mansion. Those are probably the five that kind of stick out to me the most in terms of the original software. The other stuff we can talk about is like ARMS, right? Like ARMS came out and didn't really go anywhere. It, it sold well because it was a launch-ish title. Um, I, I feel like aside from ARMS and Ring Fit Adventure, which is kind of its own thing, there hasn't been enough experimentation and enough bold new ideas with different IP and i would kind of like that to happen it's happening a bit more on the third party front um i wish the first party would maybe do a bit more of that because i think they are they're kind of coasting on the big boys and that's perfectly okay they have a lot of big boys to shoot but i i want a bit more experimentation uh, mm. from yeah, the first new party IP would lineup be good yeah what was right. the last big new ip we had from nintendo i mean arms probably right yeah if you if we're speaking about like first party you know with a budget behind it um and you know arms is one of those games i would like to ring fit adventure sold slightly more according to this list but not, yeah not yeah yeah, yeah not not a huge amount they're both kind of in the same ballpark and um yeah i i just wish that there was you know a bit more 
flavor to some of this stuff because i look at a lot of these best-selling games and i'm like okay pokemon's kind of doing the same thing as coasting smash is coasting uh mario kart's coasting new super mario brothers mario party splatoon it's coasting like there's innovation and odyssey and breath of the wild are like look at me we're fucking innovating shouting from the fucking rooftops but the other first party stuff is like yeah not quite um, yeah, and so. I, I think Animal Crossing, which is coming soon, is probably closer to the less iterative side of that, from what we know. So yeah, far, I so. mean, Animal Crossing always has been, but, you know, yeah. fair enough. Um, um, so I think, overall, it's a really good lineup. Uh, just on a personal level, it's not going to smash it out of the park for me. I'm giving it a B plus overall. Going for B plus, right. I think the highs of Odyssey and Breath of the Wild in particular are just too high for me to give it anything under than an a for me i just think that it's those are two incredibly special games to me uh and i really hope that there's a handful of other special games like that before the switch ends like i think breath of the wild 2 is gonna be huge i think metroid prime 4 has the potential to be something huge um and like i was also saying luigi's mansion 3 was a real pleasant surprise for like a first party game it's, it's almost become like a bit of a tentpole in a way where it was definitely far more b tier before like 5.3 million units doesn't feel as b tier to me um as perhaps luigi's mansion felt beforehand so mm-hmm. i'd have to go with an a um and that's mainly due to odyssey and breath of the wild really just sticking in my mind and being two of the best games of all time in my view fair enough uh let's go to third party then which has been i think for me the biggest surprise of the system Mm. Uh, you know we've done this podcast for a number of years now uh back in 2013 the situation of third parties on both wii u and 3ds was probably it's the most dire it's ever been um it was it was a sad sorry state of affairs where nothing was coming to those systems uh, from companies that weren't Nintendo or yeah. the occasional independent developer. And that, yeah, there were a few handful of indie games. But often there was a big delay or there was a big question mark of whether they would even come at all. Whereas now it is very much, if there's a big indie game, it's guaranteed to come to Switch more often than not on, on launch. Uh, and there's Often on- you're surprised if it doesn't come to yeah. Switch. And th- th- there's been a handful that have been delayed on Switch, like Into the Breach was one, but that, they really are rare and almost always they come to Switch. Now, you have to pay a premium price for them, them, don't get me wrong, but you are still getting them coming to switch which does feel like a huge step step from the wii u days where there was loads of indie games coming out and i was like oh i really want to play this and you were playing a ton on like ps4 and pc combined MBZ at the time and as much as i was missing out on like the sony exclusives and some of the other game games you were playing at that time it was really kind of the the smaller the cheaper indies that you know are so beneficial to the podcast game shorter games to talk about that we love playing and talking about that um i was really missing out on and the switch has just completely remedied that uh and i'm i'm really not going to my ps4 a whole ton to play uh indie games i mean the most recent one i guess was like something like outer wilds and maybe it's quite right that's, that's, that's an example where it's kind of surprising that's not on switch yet but then at the same time that's a that game crashed on me and like it is quite a um a demanding game yes and you look at the the type of game that is right and right. i think this is the ultimate problem with third-party games on switch is i look at a game like outer wilds and i i look at it and i'm like i would never play that on switch because it, it there's, there are alarm bells going off in my head already like how it would run the problems with a lot of the physics systems in it like 
it seems like a disaster waiting to happen if it's not optimized well and the problem is it's a flip of a coin with this system when it comes to a lot of third-party developers you know as as great as stuff like crash and spyro remakes or dragon quest is for every one of those you also have a bloodstained or you have a wolfenstein youngblood or a mortal Kombat 11 where it's just like uh like okay sure if you don't own another platform i guess you could play mortal Kombat on here but like would you want to not really uh it's it's just ultimately not the best experience and that is my i think that's my my biggest issue with third parties on switch is there's so much good stuff but oftentimes you don't know it it is really a flip of a coin whether it's going to be a good port or a bad port right and that's where i think i have steered away from the games that are you know they are they do take a bit more oomph to run and that is why games like wargroove celeste uh, stardew valley are like my some of my favorite independent games of all time and they run fantastically well on switch because obviously they're less demanding and that's an area where the switch is so perfect where those games are coming out on launch and like wargroove on switch was like hugely successful in comparison to the other um systems and like stardew valley's passed 10 million recently and that's in large part due to the switch probably uh and like celeste obviously sold pretty well so i think there's a huge number of independent games that are less uh intensive on the hardware that i think have just done fantastic fantastically well on switch yeah it's it's the place to go for them and it's such an interesting arc right you look at this generation and how sony came out swinging and a lot of the initial ps4 e3s or events whatever press conferences they would do sony was so going hard on independent developers they were bringing them out on stage they were giving them the limelight they were having the developers come out and talk about their games and say this thing is coming it's exclusive to ps4 for this period of time etc etc and over time as the ps4 gained more momentum and success and you started to really build that first party lineup that they had like you think about it like from 2013 to 2016 really there wasn't anything to write home about sure there were the people who like bloodborne and there are people out there who do um there are the people who liked knack if they existed like uh, some of them did uncharted 4 before uncharted 4 right uncharted 4 was like the bellwether of like okay here are the big guns coming out yeah now. that's when you um, picked up you... the ps4 <laughs> exactly that was the thing that got me to buy the system right but before that it was really being carried by a lot of these smaller games however as soon as it happened that you know sony was like oh god of war oh spider-man oh ghost of tsushima like these games started coming through and taking the limelight away and they wanted to focus on that because that's what was giving them the big screen and, and everyone was like oh these games are amazing blah, blah blah they're winning game of the year awards that is the shift that happened and around that time is when nintendo kind of came into the market with switch and were like hey indies put your game on here we love indies and you have reggie like thanking independent developers at the e3 press conference maybe last year a couple of years ago um which is amazing and that that happened as a result of sony moving in a different direction but also the switch being this perfect platform for that type of game and so many of those games being inspired by nintendo games right metroidvanias are a dime a dozen in the independent scene where are people going to play metroidvanias a, a fan base that cares about that type of game which is on a nintendo system right like that is fundamentally where they're drawn towards yeah. you've got stuff like harvest moon which gamecube gba days nintendo system super nintendo harvest moon stardew valley where does it do the best on switch whereas stuff like um 
co-op like overcooked mm. why does that do well on switch because it's a system fundamentally that people remember growing up playing games multiplayer or or, or you know otherwise cooperative on n64 on super nintendo right it's it is the perfect system for the types of games that independent developers make and right. the types of games that nintendo don't make anymore that are being filled with you know these developers so it's um it's interesting how it's completely turned and you know now that like when an independent game is announced it's like okay it's switch and pc is it even coming to ps4 like is there a time window exclusive is it coming to xbox who knows who cares really because like most people are going to want to play it on either pc or switch that is the go-to independent platforms right now and that's where developers will sell the most copies it's where they'll see the most revenue Um, and it's interesting because i think the the first half of the life cycle there were lots of stories about yo indies are selling crazy on this system and i had a bit of skepticism of like well yes but it's year one right like there's not many games on switch yet we're waiting to build up a lineup and it just kept happening it just kept going and i think that's the surprise of it is it didn't stop with that initial boom the boom has continued to explode and explode and it doesn't slow down it just continues to just keep this pace Mm. um, which is pretty staggering to me and i hope that that trend can continue with the new systems coming out probably end of this year well we know they're this year it will be end of this year so probably november this year uh what will that do to the indie scene will any more indies like because the switch is the one with the install base it's the one that is you don't need the the crazy high tech to run most of these games and obviously there are the exceptions like an outer wilds where it's harder to run on switch but you do wonder if there will be more higher end indies happening in the next generation that the Switch won't be able to keep up with. And that maybe not now, but maybe in two, three years time when these new systems get in their stride. I'll be interesting to see if Nintendo can still sort of sit as the indie king. I wonder. I wonder because like here's a, here's a list of games that could run on anything cuphead ori hollow knight celeste stardew valley like those are probably five of the biggest games independently on switch and if they put out another stardew valley in 10 years is it going to be able to run on the switch probably because that game could run on like a super nintendo right like there's a Mm. timelessness to 2d games that makes it so easy for them to run on anything Uh, so like sure there will be maybe some games that require a bit more power but something like ori and cuphead that are microsoft led and they've got this new um system coming out do they want to make those games any more you know cuphead how do you so. make cuphead look better you can't do how, cuphead. Like, I that's what i'm you saying can't you cuphead. can't like but cuphead can looks as good as it's ever gonna look absolutely um, what about ori though they could they could make that yeah. game another level with art style i'm not saying i know how i'm just saying sure i mean look at the sequel the sequel to ori already with some of the bosses and stuff like that is starting to lean in the direction where i'm like okay maybe they'll have a bit more trouble like running that 60 frames per second on switch for example right sure um they could probably put it at 30 but you probably wouldn't want to play it in that case uh so so yeah i think ori probably more so but like even with celeste or, or hollow knight right like there's an art style there's a direction to those games that yeah add a bit more particle effects maybe things like that you can you can spruce it up but fundamentally those games will always look good um you know chrono trigger always look will look good it still looks good uh it doesn't really matter so 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting one to bring up, but I think when you think about the best-selling independent games on Switch, most of them exactly doesn't we, matter. We, we, yeah. I think we'll have to come back to that question when we see a wave of you know high-engine indie games, which we haven't really had yet, or not not truly right. successful top-tier ones. Sure, and that's kind of where Outer Wilds is a bit of an exception, where it is more independent and it does take yeah. a lot of energy to run. So we'll see. Yeah. But, like, the other third-party stuff, which we haven't really talked about, I think, for me, the biggest surprise of Switch with third parties is how PC-focused a lot of these games are, right? You think about two companies that have supported Switch who have never in their life had a thing to do with Nintendo. Like, I I never imagined these companies would work with Nintendo in any capacity. And yet Bethesda and Blizzard are two of the companies that are doing the most legwork on big third-party Switch games. Um, you know, you got Doom and Wolfenstein, obviously. You got that amazing Skyrim port. You have Blizzard putting out Diablo and Overwatch, right? It's those companies, traditionally PC companies, are supporting Switch better than like EA are, right? Which, you know, EA are fucking stupid. Do we want EA games on this system? Probably not. Who gives a shit? They can just fuck off into oblivion with their loot box nonsense. Um, but like it blows me away that games like divinity or Baldur's gate or civilization these games are getting releases on switch and people yeah. are like yeah this is a system to play them on and it does speak to some degree the the touchscreen capability and the ability to use something that is similar enough to a mouse that maybe would work with some of those games but in, in some cases it's not even using that it's just using buttons and i don't know why but there there is this this real uh, you know yearning for pc style games on switch that just blows my mind i really don't understand why it's happened or how it's happened but it's kind of crazy um and it's awesome i think it's it's such a cool thing you have things like them announcing that Divin- divinity original sin 2 will have cross progression or already has it that game is out already has cross progression between the pc steam version and the switch version which means you can play it on your pc and then just cross progress it through the cloud onto your switch that's awesome and that is the future and that's what's going to keep happening i think um but it's such a diverse lineup outside of that we've got crash and spyro collections and also the crash racing game dragon quest 11 s witcher 3 alien isolation hellblade skyrim dark souls the outer worlds is coming to this system turok an n64 game they put fucking turok on the switch like it is such a wide variety of games from such a wide spectrum of eras you have okami hd which is a game that could run on the playstation 3 right it's or dragon's dogma there is no real barrier anymore to like what can be remastered what can be ported to the system and as a result companies like bethesda are like yeah we'll put fucking doom 64 on there why not it's in absence of the virtual console in absence of nintendo having a rigid you know classic games label you've been able to see companies like capcom go out there with Mega Man legacy collection or konami with the castlevania collection right they put out their old games in a different format and they sell way better than they would have otherwise um and yeah it just opens up windows and i think the only company lagging behind on that is nintendo themselves right like where is a Mario Sunshine GameCube thing that we can just download or, yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, like that. they're too busy getting those Wii U ports out to do anything further back, which I, I, I appreciate, but like it still feels weird. There's no way to play GameCube games without a GameCube or a Wii. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, it's a weird um, situation they're in, but they, uh, you know, they've got a lot of things to do, a lot of things to deal with. Um, so... I think for me, you know, third party is killing it on Switch. I had written down A minus. I think I'm actually just going to go an A. 
I'm going to go an A because this is... And I think this is comparing it to what Nintendo had had before, right? Like, on a wider spectrum, you know, this this system still doesn't get the biggest games of the year. It doesn't get your divisions. It doesn't get your Far Cries. It doesn't get your, your FIFAs or Jedi your Call Fallen of Duties. Order, yeah. Your Jedi Fallen Orders, right? The games that, you know, really, realistically are not going to run great on the system, so let's not bother. Um, obviously, you know, there are exceptions to that rule. Doom Eternal is coming to Switch. I wouldn't want to play Doom Eternal on Switch, but it's coming. Uh, there is a version of it. Witcher 3 runs on Switch, as far as you can say anything runs on Switch. Um, so, yes, obviously, it's not the perfect system, but no system's the perfect system. So, I'm going to go with an A, and I we, we haven't even mentioned third-party exclusives, which, you know, Octopath for a little while was an exclusive. Um, Mario plus Rabbids Astral Chain... Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and we've also got No More Heroes and Bayonetta coming up. Uh, a couple of indies that are still exclusive, Golf Story and The Tourist. Um, there, there's some really good third-party things they're doing exclusive-wise. I wish they'd do a bit more with it. We kind of have this pace of one a year at the moment. We had like Marion Rabbids and Launch Year, then we had Octopath, which was more of a timed exclusive, and then we had Astral Chain and Marvel last year, and it seems like we're probably going to get No More Heroes and Bayonetta 3 this year, um, but I'd like to continue that trend or even up that trend a bit more uh, to get even more third-party exclusives locked down. Because I'll tell you what, as far as polish goes, Astral Chain is one of the most polished things I've seen on Switch. Uh, and you don't get that from third-party publishers unless it's an exclusive where they're developing primarily for that particular hardware. Um, so, yeah, I'm giving it an A. Where are you sitting at, Bally? I'm going to go A as well. Uh, and you know the wii u like i think actually had some really strong first party games like donkey kong tropical freeze mario maker uh 3d world was great like uh you know that it had a lot of strong games so but what it just didn't have was all those things to play in between and that's part of the reason that on this podcast um i played a ton of nintendo classic games because that wii u virtual console was really good and had a ton of stuff to play but it didn't have all the indies that i wanted to play I, I've actually, at this point in time, I've played considerably more Switch games than MBZ, and that's just because of all those games he plays on PC or he's played before in other systems. They've all come to Switch, and I've played them, and that's been fantastic. So, like, I've played something, like, something like over a quarter of all the games I have on my back- backlog club. Backlog club? Backloggery. Um, <laughs> oh, I've done that a few times. Um, over a quarter of them are Switch games, and that's just insane, considering it's only been here for less than three years. Uh, so... I I absolutely love games like Stardew Valley, Celeste, Wargroove. You know, these are games that I could have been waiting a long time to see come to the Wii U or I'd have to pick up on PS4. But, you know, they just come to Switch. They're the place I want to play them. Uh, I There's been a handful of things I've had to pick up on PS4, but it's, it's not as much fun playing indie games and third-party games on PS4, honestly. Like, it, it, it is that handheld aspect that you want with a slightly shorter game that you just want to dip in and dip out of uh, that... I think it does work really well with games like Stardew Valley, like Wargroove, you know, like it just has been a joy so far. And there's a, so many indie games like Eastward uh, Sports Story coming out this year. Well, hopefully both of them come this year. Uh, and then definitely Switch is the place I w- I'd want to play those games. I mean, I think Sports, I think are they both, both exclusives. I know Sports Story is, but uh, Eastward is coming out on PC as well. I think okay. Sports Story is exclusive because Golf Story, for whatever reason, is still, still only exclusive. available on Switch. Right. Yeah. So 
I think they're just absolutely nailing it, and I'd be, even be tempted to go up to an A plus, honestly. So I'll probably stick with an A because there's even it, there's even I more mean, room. If you're if you're comparing it to what it used to be, like I would believe that, but you know, it's uh, right, right. It's, it's I'll pretty stick crazy. with an A for now, but uh, I am very, yeah. I'm one happy camper when it comes to third party games. Totally. Um, marketing and messaging. Uh, so how have Nintendo got the word out about Switch? What is their advertising being like, and and how have they been kind of positioning it in the market right. for us in um, the uk i don't know i think just generally <laughs> like what what the types of advertising they're doing I, like for me it's this very clear delineation right one of the most famous adverts for the wii u that i remember that i actually kind of like quite a lot was this it was like a five minute long thing that was kind of like a mini story almost where there's this young kid and he plays with like his older brother and like there's like this girl who comes around who's older and like the you know friends or whatever and he's like the young kid and he's playing with them in smash brothers and he keeps losing um and like he's clearly like interested in the older uh girl who comes around and you know they try and play on that a little bit then he like goes away and he trains with his amiibo and his mario becomes super powerful and then he like impresses her at the end by his mario amiibo beating them it's it's a very goofy the best way to get girls (laughs) yeah totally yeah you're just train hey hey kids train those amiibo to level 50 you'll just be fucking swimming in it um but basically that like epitomized the problem with wii u is they just didn't know what the fuck to do with advertising like it does, who does that who is that appealing to i don't understand like smash brothers fans i don't kids i don't know it was it was so weird it's such a strange type of uh, advertising um and i think the the thing they've done distinctively with switch is focus on young adults and selling switch as a lifestyle brand more than anything else right like it is a thing you carry with you it is a cool looking product is a thing you'll take out your backpack and play with other people as you're hanging out outside or on a rooftop or whatever it is such a clear and obvious we want this to look like a cool product without being edgy about it without being overly like oh we're cool um and and doing it in a way that kind of threads that needle i think Um, the rooftop was one step too many but i really liked the initial um here's a guy playing breath of the wild and he needs to take his dog out for a walk i think that's a lot more relatable than rooftop parties personally sure no totally um, but the general message is really strong and like uh we both recently listened to reggie's uh he was interviewed by cornell university and right like their business school and one point he was saying is everyone he he had spoken to played the wii u they said reggie we love that you can like play away from the screen but then you have to stay near your tv like and this was essentially one of the original ideas why the switch is the way it is it's like an evolution of that that idea the wii u playing away from your tv but still being able to play on your tv as we said like in in every aspect the wii u is the the beta version of the switch right like software wise hardware wise everything it just totally really and i just think that fundamental concept fits into so many different lifestyles of different people who play video games whether you are dog walking whether you are looking after kids whether you're you're not you don't have kids and you just want to play some games on your tv or you want to play them when you go on holiday or you're traveling or you know the sleep function with just like dipping in and out of games versus you know sitting with a a jrpg for six hours in a row like it, it offers all those things all in one uh, and it's that versatility that I think. I think video games are generally going in the direction of versatility. Like if you look at like what Game Pass is doing and that ability to dip in and out of games, like 
people aren't having the the same amount of time to sit down and play video games for five six hours at a time and i think in the, as we move to the next generation there is the companies who articulate their message to apply to people who can play for 20 minutes to half an hour at a time i think are going to come out successful and i think nintendo and the switch are already on that message hype train like it's it's rolling and it's doing well and people understand that message uh and yes the switch light is similar message but without obviously docking to to a station essentially uh but you know switch pro is probably going to be announced later this year probably come out the year after and it's going to reinforce that message that you can play this on the tv or on the go and it's going to be popular um and yeah i think it's the, the message has worked because the the hardware is partially so strong it's a much easier sell i think even than even than the wii honestly in some ways it's like that the wii is trying to apply to people who don't play games where the switch is trying to appeal to people who obviously do play games and once you already are appealing to people who are playing games the concept is straightforward i agree that it might be a bit confusing for people who don't play video games but in many ways that's not in the market in the same way the wii was you know yeah exactly like the types of people who are buying switch are the types of people who already own a playstation or an xbox you know they are people who are built into an ecosystem and want something more they want an extra bonus on the side that was another interesting point in that reggie interview is when he joined nintendo in 2003 like the average number of people who owned the video game system was like one in four or something and now that number has increased to where the average number is almost multiple video game systems and people as you say are do own like a playstation with a switch like i do or they have a gaming pc or they've got like an xbox like there's this huge combination that i think the switch is just such a fantastic complement to any gaming setup it is 100 percent, yeah um and to some degree like when we talk about marketing and messaging some of that stuff just gets done for nintendo like they don't even have to try um i think of celebrities tweeting out about switch um there's there was a photo of like a sports team on a plane all of them with switches i can't remember if that was a thing that like nintendo had sent to them or something but some of that stuff they do is really smart in terms of them speaking to this really wide audience like a basketball team or a baseball team or whatever and they're like look at all of us on the plane playing switch um but then you also have like the natural stuff which is like chrissy teigen on twitter being like hey how do i kill this thing in luigi's mansion or like brie larson tweeted out today or yesterday uh she quote tweeted the animal crossing switch that they just announced and being like oh my god and like i wonder to what degree nintendo would want to go after those opportunities with celebrities and to what degree they work because they're more natural right like Mm. people being more online and social media i mean we've had the whole beyonce with the ds and all like it we've had the celebrity forced down our throats and now we're having the you know subtle celebrity which i agree i think it works a lot better it's a lot more natural and whether it might not have like the wider reach but like it feels like the more it feels less orchestrated even if it is yeah it's the type of thing that will sell a product more naturally because you know if someone legitimately likes something like brie larson replied to doug bowser or uh, for something uh, last year and i thought it was very funny um you know these these people who have influence and reach and them talking about their love for video games and the much how much they care about it you know not that there's as much stigma as there used to be but i think it just continues to widen the approach 
to games generally from a wider audience and people accepting it even more so um and so i think switch has done a great job of doing that as, as just being the system to to get a wider audience um who may not have thought about you know playing games before so totally um so yeah it's uh it's an interesting one i would probably overall go a b plus uh i would say that i guess especially in the uk just advertising wise it's not that really i watch much tv so i guess i just haven't seen any of that stuff because i don't really watch television um they do you know some good uh, stuff on youtube in terms of their marketing and advertising um which you know as i said they kind of keep that focus it's it's on young people it's it's not appealing to a like a kid's audience necessarily like there are some things that go in that direction but they tend to stay in in that general lane and i think it's worked for them overall pretty well so yeah, yeah i i mean i've put down an a i think that it, it, and it's kind of cheating because i think it's just the proof of concept is almost the best marketing for this thing possible and i agree like the marketing the marketing in the uk is not that big and that's because we're not a big market for nintendo and never really have been um i guess we might have been a little bit more during the wii era but you know it's not a big deal Look, whenever a popular nintendo console that has a racing game on it like mario kart that's going to sell in the uk regardless because yeah. people here are obsessed with racing things and cars so you know racing things fifa british things brexit uh, that's one thing people are keen on um but yeah yep. it, it's it's like I, I just think the messaging is so strong with this and that it is interesting that the wii u which was a similar concept uh was such a flop and not marketed in a way it was like marketed as like this alternative next step to the wii an expansion to the wii almost and then you know change the color make it like more remote with that added handheld um ability and it's just like done so well so i'm gonna go with an a cool uh, and then the last one we have is services and i kind of said this encompassed the online the super nintendo nes stuff and like offers and things like that bonus games the vouchers um i think this is the one that they are not they're not good at and they still are not good at it and they have continued to not be good at it for near two decades now um, so <laughs> yeah you know like it's kind of like the people who want pokemon to be breath of the wild it's like look we, we love these things but we got to hold them to a specific uh expectation or set of expectations and the set of expectations when it comes to nintendo and online services is just it's, it's rock bottom um i'll say like it's probably improved generally we played smash brothers last night and uh it was pretty good overall i yeah. thought you know it wasn't it wasn't terrible uh it worked so like a well enough day, a day or two after byleth came out and it ran smoothly so you'd think that a lot of people were playing online at the time to play with byleth so yeah yeah i mean it might be my new internet to be honest but well, who maybe knows? <laughs> yeah that could, could have some effect on it potentially but uh you know it's always going to feel better in in person you know every time we play smash brothers in person i'm like this is like a revelation compared to playing online and you don't you don't really notice it but um, i mean squad st- squad strike is just the most wonderful mode as well that it's the best mode yeah to have online um yeah and but then you also have mario maker which is still a fucking garbage mm. dump just burning like you can smell it fucking six miles away it's that bad it's just like literally when when a powerpoint fucking presentation has better frame rate than a video game you know you're in trouble um and you know that's the case for pokemon as well like you turn on the wi-fi in the wild area and it's like okay let's do two frames a second for a little bit here that's uh that's good uh 
It's yeah. It, I just it's weird because it's like it's across every single developer. It's not like Game Freak are their own thing. They probably you know have their own uh, infrastructure set up for like how their internet stuff works. But it's maybe it is just a fundamental switch thing. Uh, the the Wi-Fi chip in the Switch is just bad. Like it doesn't have good reach to it. It doesn't it doesn't work into the same distance that it should do with other consoles. I remember when I first got the Switch and I took it upstairs in my home uh, in Edinburgh and. It just couldn't get the connection, whereas the Wii U was sitting there, and the Wii U was perfectly fine. Wii U had a great Wi-Fi chip. It would work wherever, versus the Switch, and I was, like, struggling to even get one bar. Um, Yeah, actually, in a place where I played my DS Lite and had perfect signal, I struggled to get one bar on my Switch, uh, which was incredibly disappointing, and I think it just speaks, again, to potentially rush with the hardware you know getting it out on a shorter timeline than they would have initially liked to because wii u was flogging so horribly um and so you know you have things like the joy con drift and the wi-fi chip being bad and then also having issues with connectivity with the joy con and and, uh, its bluetooth emitter it's just kind of all adds up as a result of a rushed product that has probably been improved i would imagine the switch Lite probably has a a bit of a better wi-fi chip in there but um i don't know that's uh that kind of just builds into the online service making it worse than it already is uh so there are games that do pretty well i would say splatoon is a great example of a game that has pretty good it's pretty smooth uh, you know, most of the time yeah 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 um and it's a different type of game again uh but you know that works perfectly fine there are games that work really well, like Nidhogg, which we played online, which just, like, I don't know, it just works. Uh, the only problem with those types of games is when you're jumping into an online game on Switch, unless it has crossplay, it's really rare that you'll be able to find people to play with. You know, you just, especially a game like Nidhogg, which is on its own, an independent game, a smaller game that not many people will have bought just jumping in at any time to play somebody you're not going to find anyone it's just not going to happen because there aren't enough people out there to play those types of games i think it's one of the negatives of being a multiplayer game on switch if you're smaller is something like morphe's law remember that game that got you know was part of directs and stuff yeah and they they needed loads of people to be playing that online to work yeah that was never gonna happen you know like yeah one in a million right because there's so many other games competing for your attention in terms of multiplayer uh, not only with Nintendo, with Splatoon and, and uh, Smash Brothers, and even Mario Kart, right? Like, the, those are the three kind of big multiplayer games that you're going to have. You also have Fortnite on Switch. You now have Overwatch on Switch. You have free-to-play games like Dauntless and Paladins um, and Rocket League. And I think the reason why stuff like Fortnite, Rocket League, Dauntless, why they all still work is all of those games are cross-play. They're all free to play. Well, Rocket League isn't free to play, but like they're all cross play, which means that there will always be people playing them. It's not just within the Switch ecosystem, which is one of those reasons why I'm actually a little skeptical about Overwatch. And even if I do pick it up at some point in the future on Switch, I will remain skeptical about whether I even want to play it because the numbers won't probably add up, right? Y- you want an, a really large user base, and Overwatch does not have cross play. Um, it hasn't and i don't think it will until the sequel comes out so for me that's a bit of a bummer right that kind of leans into the problem with online is you know the the size of the ecosystem on switch and how many people you can find games to even play against um 
and hopefully the crossplay future is just going to continue to happen and we won't have to worry about this anymore because there'll always be xbox or playstation or pc people who will jump in and you'll have a much wider community much wider pool to pull from Um, i don't think i ever played a rocket league game and found a switch player it's always pc or playstation or whatever because there's just not as many people on this platform versus the others um or at least dedicated people playing it right so totally um then we also have like nes super nintendo games which sure like i I, you know there's some good stuff on there um i i played uh what was it the caveman game joe and mac on super nintendo that was great i had a great time playing that and i think for me it really signaled how important the rewind feature is and how how big a deal that is in this day and age and and you know we've gone through various iterations of virtual console and nintendo you know we didn't have any save states then we you built in the save Mm. state feature which was really nice and now we have save states and rewind so we have like the most accessible versions of these games there has ever been nintendo also put out these like special edition versions where let's play the original legend of zelda but you start out with all the items so you don't have to go and find them and it makes it much easier for you um i like that idea and i think that them stepping back and not putting games out on a frequent basis anymore is potentially good news because it means that like when they do big dumps they can make lots of stuff happen at once and it's it's more of a push it's more of a coordinated okay a big thing happened here's a direct here's the new games everyone go play them type of deal as opposed to oh it's ninja gaiden and i don't know peggle or something peggle's not on an old game that's an xbox game uh you know what i mean it's a fucking tetris who knows tetris um yes. yeah and and most people are going to be be like oh whatever and just not even well, like vice uh, project doom which is like a weird like deep cut game that no one's heard of and it's never come out on a virtual console before um and that's actually that gives me hope in terms of i thought that with this setup you weren't going to get those super fucking weird deep cuts but it turns out nintendo are kind of doing that because most part all the big nes and super nintendo games are on there already right they just put them out day one like you talk about the triumvirate mario world super metroid link to the past they're all there already like you can't release them again so everything they're released from here on they have the ability to go a bit deeper into the library. Are we past the point where we're kind of judgmental of Nintendo for the fact that there isn't like that fully fledged virtual console that there was on the Wii U? Like, I remember when the yeah. system first came out, we were very critical, and we've, I've personally become a lot more kind of roll with it kind of feeling towards it just because there has been such a huge number of third party games, especially that have just taken up all of our time to be honest and like yeah sure i want that gamecube virtual console but like at what cost like is that eventually going to come what right what, what do you think in the wii u era i feel like we would have been even more critical because there, there was wasn't nothing else, else. <laughs> there was nothing, <laughs> nothing else and so you needed at least some of the back catalog to bolster you as it is i i think i've checked my our account and i've put four hours in on the super nintendo one and like an hour maybe on the nes one like i've barely put time into digging it and there's like 25 40 games for the nes maybe like 25 games for the super nintendo and there's stuff on there that i want to play i'd like to dig into some breath of fire um i would like to play uh demon's crest a bit more i started demon's crest you know i i want to get to some of those deeper cuts and play some of those and check them out but like there's so many fucking games on this platform that really it doesn't matter that much to me um and it may matter more when the types of games i want to play come more to the forefront right like 
if there's a GameCube Virtual Console, you know I'm going to be in there straight away playing something. But that's not the case right now. And judging by third-party companies, the way things have rolled out, as we've mentioned so many times, Mega Man Legacy Collection is just better for Capcom. The Castlevania Collection is just better for Konami. You know, Okami HD is just better. Like, all these re-releases and versions and collections, they are fundamentally better marketing opportunities, uh, better value for the consumer, and ultimately more profitable for the company that are putting them out, versus, hey, Mega Man X6 is out on the virtual console today. Like, that drops and who cares? You know, like the people who care about Mega Man X6, which is like a tiny amount of people. And sure, you get like a thousand sales versus Mega Man X Legacy Collection comes out and you're like, oh, there's four games on that. I'm interested in all the Mega Man X games. I'll pick this up. It's a good value. And then you're like off to the races with 500,000 people picking it up versus a much more percentage. Um, it, it makes more sense this way. And as much as like people will complain... I think Nintendo have realized, like, you know, third parties are doing better on the system by by approaching it in a different way, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and then we have, like, the vouchers, which I just have to bring up, because it's so just weird. a fucking joke. In the UK especially, like, the the retail market here is very different to the way it works in the US in terms of, you know, for the most part, games will be $60 at retail everywhere versus on the eShop where it will also be $60. Here, you go to the eShop and it's like Breath of the Wild is 60 pounds and I'm like, "No, Amazon has it for 40. That's that's a third of the price off. It is insane like the the vast gap between prices on the eShop versus what you can get online. And especially places like Shop2 or the Game Collection or Base, mm. like all these UK online retailers that do nowadays are doing digital versions of those games. Like the last four first party nintendo games i've bought have all been digital because i found them for the same price as hard copy retail for like 40 quid yeah and there's no reason for me to not do that right i would be stupid to go on the eShop and pay 50 quid for animal crossing when i could get the exact same thing digitally a code delivered to me the day before it comes out preload it for 10 pounds cheaper uh it's yeah and the vouchers are like well what if you saved 15 quid overall and i'm like no i can save 20 quid if i just go to these retailers like it is it costs me less to not do your deal your oh so great deal um so i like fundamentally i like the vouchers as an idea but they are not localized well enough right like for the markets that they're being put in they don't think about the conditions of the uk market versus the us market and the value proposition that someone could potentially get from these um they're not worth it it's not an offer and we joke often but the nintendo don't know what sales are and like the best you can hope for is 30 percent off but it's true uh they just don't they don't understand what a good deal is um so for me overall looking at the totality of the services aspect it's a c like it's just a c and it's not it's no better than that because it it's a mess all over the place you know that the, they still insist that you know the, the app is something you should use and i can't deal with it anymore it's not you know it's not there it's not where it should be and it, it doesn't deserve to get anything higher than a c from me yeah i agree with most of that it's just in the grand scheme of things like a lot of these issues are on the small side in my head at least and yeah i've completely done a bit of a u-turn on the whole virtual console thing like it's not much of a big deal for me and yeah i've spent even less time in that nes and snes 
um player thing service and it's fine it's fine you know it's it is what it is and the online functionality is still pretty bad and like the like the services also i guess includes like the layout of like the menus and the lack of themes and you sure know, that, i mean we could you can roll that in and that stuff is yeah. pretty poor as well like initially it was nice to have like such a clean crisp looking it's like, still snappy layout. like it's i snappy. like how fast it is but like yesterday i gave you this code for the ghost of tsushima theme on ps4 and you're like oh man this is yeah, great themes. yeah Forgot every, about themes. every time i go back to my 3ds i'm like this looks amazing like these themes yeah. and the, the music comes in and this is nice the folders and, oh dear oh, lord folders um can we i mean, we, we're gonna talk about a 3ds soon on this show and we'll mention that at the end but uh there's never been a system that has better like functionality in terms of tracking what you've played like organizing your stuff like the 3ds is like my dream console in terms of that shit it's like god tier for that kind of stuff it it is god tier yeah Um, sure and the fact that the switch has so little of it now you can order your games in terms of how much you've played them but still not see the hour count and it's like the exact hour count between this and that yeah yeah it's truly truly bizarre and frustrating uh but as i said in the grand scheme of things it's a very small issue but it can't get any higher than a c it's not great it's typically very very average uh maybe even slide to a c minus honestly like it's just yeah it's not great yeah um so i think that pretty much covers it it's uh it's been a hell of a three years and i think that you know overall switch is a great system uh there are issues here and there we can complain and stuff like that but it's i think it's exceeded so many people's expectations and especially you think about our mood um at 6 a.m coming off that january presentation for the switch and like setting up the future of nintendo i think we were pretty fucking negative you know we were pretty down in the dumps about (laughs) what the system was going to be and for nintendo to have just turned it around completely and just made the like this console that appeals to such a wider audience and is just yeah. so and i mean that that presentation they were really still throwing everything at the wall it was very much an emphasis on arms and one two totally both those games yeah you can i mean they both sold decently but like not nowhere near the levels of you know odyssey breath of the wild you can really feel them just like tightrope walking and not wanting to like wanting yeah. to please as many audiences as possible and being like well let's put arms out there and see if this motion control thing well they wanted to take that risk you know and see if that was a market that could stick but they had like this system that appeals to multiple markets with different games and software and then what sticks what should we invest more in and then obviously those games haven't done as well and as a result you don't get you know i say all this and then ring for adventure comes out right but my, yeah. my point is that, that that's still very much b c tier level of what they're aiming the sure. system at in comparison to right the like the marketing for ring for adventure has not been like the big boom push of we fit in the same way but also like no i think they are fine with that like they're fine with putting out a product that will through naturally through word of mouth maybe even reach those levels at some point in time um you know it's yeah. i think it's better for them to just have experimental stuff and and test the waters but uh and honestly like last year ring fit adventure was the game maybe talked about most in game of the year discussions from a nintendo side along with like luigi's mansion and then the industry doesn't talk enough about fire Emblem anyway no. and on top of that like link's awakening it was it was up there with those three games and you wouldn't have expected that when that game was announced no, you would not have done um for certain so 
so yeah um do you have like an overall grade for switch um after three years yeah at this point in time i think it's got to be an a i honestly just think that the first party games are some of my favorite of those franchises ever and on top of that just the sheer number of games that have come to the system both new and all old because i've always had things i want to play on the switch all kinds of genres everything is coming to the, the system and that has just been so great it's like completely revolutionized how i play games with the whole aspect of handheld on the go and and in front of your tv like that i can play all these games so easily and it's been a fantastic like almost three years at this stage so i'd go for an a and i think it's got room to go to like even higher if um games like breath of the wild 2 metroid prime 4 we'll see what animal crossing is like i think there will probably be more mario kart you know i think there's more exciting uh tentpole releases and i think there's a lot of b-tier stuff like luigi's mansion was that will pleasantly surprise us all and actually sell in the range of six to ten million units and i think we'll do very well critically as well yeah uh i am gonna give it a b plus overall uh i yeah i I think i probably have more issues with it overall than you do but it's still unquestionably a a real success for nintendo and um and i like it a whole lot it's uh it's very good uh it's it's the switch it's uh everyone's favorite so hey um it's a lot to happen in such a short space of time i think so yeah i think it it does feel like it's been longer but it really hasn't and that is a weird feeling totally um so yeah i think that pretty much wraps us up for the show thanks everyone for listening um we uh did a good job running through all those things and uh let's see where we are in three more years time eh um will there be another switch by that point will they have uh moved on to a pro model how do they uh line up in the industry with the ps5 and series x coming out you know lots of interesting things on the horizon this year especially is going to be uh it's going to be an interesting one to follow so let's get on out of here and uh talk about some various things um about the show and and stuff like that reminder that yes uh if you are having trouble with the feed the rss feed which uh you know we don't know at this point when this episode goes up whether it will be fixed or not you can access episodes on youtube if you go to youtube.com slash this nintendo life um we have a playlist there it's got every episode going back to the beginning when the show had a different name even uh so you can find all the stuff there easily accessible um hopefully this will be resolved because it is giving me great anxiety and i just want it to be sorted uh, and over so hopefully it will be um you obviously can find us in various places around the internet and uh we have an email address that you can send emails to we're planning to do a 3ds retrospective uh the 3ds dead and buried now the last 3ds game came out in 2019 which was pretty much persona q2 uh we are over and done with it it is in the ground and i think it is a great console that spanned most of the life of this podcast and it's an interesting one to talk about so we're going to do a big old retrospective on the 3ds we don't know when it's going to happen probably at one point in february we're waiting for nintendo direct announcements they're probably imminent at some point um but depending on when and i think it's going to be one thursday this month and we just don't yes, know which thursday exactly so we're kind of biding our time because if a nintendo direct happens obviously we're going to talk about that versus 3ds retrospective but we will be doing one of those so please 
please, we'd love for you to send in your memories of the 3DS. What is it that you'll take away from the system? What is it that impacted you about the system? Uh, what are your favorite games on it? All that type of stuff. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the 3DS. Uh, send them to our email address, which Bally will tell you right now. Please send them to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. Send us Great. Your, your comments. We want to hear Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Um, you can find the show in lots of places. We're all over the internet um, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, TuneIn. Um, maybe we're on Google Podcasts now that we switched hosts. I haven't checked, but um, oh, that could be a thing. Maybe a benefit of, uh, of doing that. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can uh, find us on Twitter to get all updates on things like what is happening with the podcast feed. Follow us at TNL Podcast. That is at TNL podcast you can find me on twitter spouting my various nonsense at lord nbz where can they find you Bally? i'm on twitter at ballyman91 that's b-a-l-l-y-m-a-n-9-1 been doing a bit more recently mm-hmm. uh been cooking some things tweeting some pictures uh really getting into the cooking loving Good it stuff uh yeah that's pretty much it i think uh obviously we got our patrons to thank uh for supporting the show and uh helping us through these trying times. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash this Nintendo Life to support us and get bonus episodes. And we'd like to sa- thank some of our patrons, Bally. Thank you to our two $10 tier patrons. They are my fiance Caroline and Atari Alex. Thank you for your support. Uh, I'm still going to say that my fiance is Atari Alex at some point. <laughs> That's going to happen. Um, but I'd also like to thank our other... Uh, we've got 20 patrons. Uh, we'd like to thank all of you so much for your support. Uh, and the the kindness of your heart to support our show and keep us on the road uh, it's hugely appreciated absolutely and you can get a bunch of uh, bonus episodes over there um, we are probably going to be doing uh, our top five 3ds games to coincide with a 3ds retrospective uh, for our patreon yeah. show for the month of february so if february that sounds yeah. good to you then uh, head on over there uh pretty much wraps us up i think uh thanks bally for uh for hanging out with me and talking about these video game things it's been fun um we'll uh we'll be back no worries very soon in a couple of weeks time uh maybe sooner than that who knows if nintendo direct gets announced out of nowhere and it's like way before we record the next episode we might have to do an emergency episode so we'll see um until then though thank you very much for listening and uh, see you next time bye-bye interlude used on today's show was Long Journey Home from Kentucky Route Zero. Copyright Cardboard Computer 2020.